Power Athlete Radio. Creator of Power Athlete John Wellborn, aka J Welly, aka Jean Wellborn, takes questions from Luke and Tex and reflects on the principles that he's acquired over the years. The topic follows a theme that I have heard many, many times over, which is what to teach your son so that he will slay girls with incredible efficacy. As the guys reflect on their own upbringings, they simultaneously look to the future with some increasing sentimentality. A more broad conversation about which specific skills each parent should be instilling in their child, boy or girl, leads to a rough blueprint for success. Disclaimer, we are not life experts and we have no life hacks. Zero. That shit does not exist. We only offer stories, repeater jokes, and the occasional smart guest. Luckily, this episode contains all three. This is episode 260. Ladies and gentlemen, it is that time for... Power Athlete Radio, the premier podcast in strength and conditioning. Ing, ing, ing. I'm going to let you in behind the curtains. We're recording this after our discussion because this intro, after the discussion, interception, uh, because we just hit fucking record because we're talking about some good shit at the podcast. On a table. Friday. On a Friday. So you're about to listen to two hours, over two hours of just good shit. Really nothing to do with strength and conditioning. Um, uh, but lessons that could be derived to help you strength and condition. 100% life lessons and lessons learned, people. Uh, and all we're promoting today is not a product. I want you to share this. Out. If you think a friend needs this type of shit, share it with them. We want to get more listeners. Truly. Why? Because I don't fucking know. Why not? That's why we do this thing. Or maybe we don't. Maybe well, we want our, less listeners. The, the premier podcast in strength and conditioning... Ing, ing, ing. I'm pointing Sorry. at Luke to get the ing. <laughs> ...has expanded... The world of strength and conditioning, as ing, it should, ing, because ing. what do we know about athleticism and and you know our passion that why we train? It expands beyond the weight room, and so, it's about the expansion of capabilities. Yep. So we're looking to expand our audience, people. And how are you going to fucking bribe people? I want you to write a review. If you're an iTunes listener, write us a re- review on iTunes. And if you have positive, negative feedback for us, we'll take it both. It just better be actionable. And especially if you're a Stitcher person, we need Stitcher reviews. Why? I don't even know. To be honest with you, we really don't even need anything. Except for you to share. We're, like, here's the thing. If we lost 90% of the listeners tomorrow because of like a uh, uh, leftovers event where people just disappear, okay? Haven't finished the series, no spoiler alerts. Are we going to stop podcasting? No. So listen, I guess I'll stop be listening. Gone. I don't fucking care. We're going to be just doing this anyways. But anyways, enough about us. Here's what happened, people. Sitting around the podcast table, got in some heavy shit, decided to hit record. So we have a very abrupt cut coming up. Thank you for listening to the premier podcast of strength and conditioning. Ing. Ing, ing. And you're about to learn 10, 11, or 12 principles that you can live your life by to be a better version of yourself. Next. And cue the hard cut into John. Go. I thought we were rolling. We're rolling now? Oh, okay. So when I took my dad, uh, when I last saw him, like I took him to get that chemo appointment, and we had to go drop him off to go eat and for him to get all the um, you know medicine and everything. So my mom, we had a couple hours to kill. So I took her to go see Black Panther. Like We were like, hey, let's just go to a movie. We'll just go veg out, turn off your phone. So we go, and uh, the only movie playing at that time is Black Panther. I'm like, oh, shit, I want to see Black Panther. So... 
the deal is that uh, the father dies and the kid ascends to the throne and he goes and he like goes back to like the spirit plane and he like visits his dad and uh, he's like, dad, I'm not ready. And he goes, you know, he goes, the job of a father is to prepare his children for the day he dies. Didn't I prepare you? And he's like, I just wasn't ready to be without you. And like, I hear that and all of a sudden I'm like, oh my God, dude, like that's like that part kind of motivated me. Um, from then on, I thought to myself, I'm like, dude, uh, my job is I have to prepare for the day that I'm not there. Not only just my own kids, but you know, the family, this, I mean, everything like, you know, power athlete for you guys. If all of a sudden something catastrophic happened, does it have enough legs to where all of a sudden you guys wouldn't miss a beat if I wasn't here anymore? And, uh, that's the idea of like being able to extend something past you. And I started thinking about like legacy and this and like what I wanted for my son, what I wanted for my daughters, the skill sets, what I want for, you know, and it just, um, kind of took this like 10,000 foot view. And then you imagine like, what does your obituary look like? What does it look like at your funeral? Like, or your memorial service when people get up and talk and just kind of refocused me on wanting to slay big dragons. Um, you know, here at Power Athlete, like, uh, we're not looking for, you know, even though we work on a lot of base hits, we're looking for our dare to be grade eight mile moment and we're looking to slay dragons and we have some nice dragons coming at us and we got to slay those dragons for, if we can slay them, then that's how, you know, we end up getting to where we want to go. Well, I mean, it, to bring light to the situation internal, internally, you got your dragons, you got your baby dragons, you got your lizards, your base hits and your home runs, but it is a power athlete principle to slay everything. And that's a fact. That slay all principle day. 11. Principle 11. Uh, I thought, wait a minute. I thought that was excitability. 10, no, that's 10. Oh, that's 10. Slay all day. Slay everything <laughs> is fucking 11. So, Write it down. Interesting. Uh, interesting reflection, John. And I'm thinking back about all the, like the, the hustle social medias that we're seeing and how people would highlight only the big dragons. Do you foresee it as a problem as people, you know, just graduating college or just starting their own business, do you foresee it as a problem where they're only focusing on the big dragons and not getting the reps to prepare for their moment because they're not focused on the, the base hits or the, the, the lizards right in front of them right now? So the way that, um, put it like this, uh, I always want people to say I'm an overnight success that's been working for over a decade. You know, like, oh, that guy's an overnight success. You're like, yeah, I've been grinding on this shit for a decade. Um, the interesting thing is, um, you know, and, and think about it from just like a football standpoint. So when I started playing football, I was 14 years old and I got out and I weighed uh, six foot, 165 pounds. And the other kids were, you know, anywhere from five, two to six feet, you know, maybe a uh, hundred pounds to 200 pounds. And we went out there and we basically, uh, you know, hit as hard as we thought that we could. And those hits weren't very hard you know, but they were big to us and you go in the off season and you bang weights and you get bigger. And next thing you know, I'm uh, 200 pounds and I'm hitting a little harder and then I'm 225 and then I'm 240 and I'm benching, you know, 300 pounds and squatting four and, you know, 450 and, you know, weighing, you know, 230, 240, 250 pounds and the hits are bigger. And then I get to go to college and now I'm playing against bigger people and the hits are bigger and I get bigger and you kind of grow off of this like linear progression of size. So I started 106, six foot of 165. I leave college at six, five and three quarters, you know, 300 plus pounds. And so over the course of, uh, like the last, you know, eight, nine years, I've grown six inches and I've put on, you know, 145, 150 pounds. I went from barely benching 115 and repping 95 pounds to benching 500 plus and repping 405 for sets of 10. 
And you think about like the speed and the size and the growth over the course of that freshman in high school, that senior in college, eight, nine years later. And it's no different to me. Everybody just got bigger and stronger as I got bigger and stronger. And so there was never a really massive jump. The biggest jump was from 18 years old as a freshman. When I got to the NFL, it didn't really seem like as big a jump. And um, that linear progression, if you were to take somebody who had never done that and just drop them in, all of a sudden it's going to be this massive fucking you know, hill to climb. So because the small increments, like I think about climbing Mount Everest too, right? You got to get to base camp and then you acclimatize and you keep going. Same deal. So with a lot of times, uh, and we've talked about this, we've had opportunities present us in the years past that we weren't ready to take. I can think of two or three opportunities where were presented us and I was, didn't have the team of people, didn't have the knowledge base, didn't have the understanding and just didn't have the support army knowledge base, just the information and the power and, you know, all these things to go out and slay those big dragons. And so all of a sudden you get to a point where you've been doing this for a long time. You know, you understand your technology, you understand what's in front of you. You have the right people around you so that when these things happen, you can point a finger and task somebody and know that that information will get done and and provided for us. And all of a sudden the right people come up and, um, you guys always joke, but I'm really pretty sharp about collecting People, people come to us that we need and um, making sure that like, hey, all of a sudden this opportunity presents itself and this person fits perfect. So I think um, you slay the biggest dragon you can at the time with the ability that you have. Yeah, with the sword you got, right? right. Think of like the wooden sword you got from fucking medieval times if you, if you were, went there for yeah. your 10th birthday. No big deal. Shout out mom and dad. Thanks for that. Red that go. But you got to be in the fight that the thing is you have to be in the fight and honestly okay let's go with the size analogy like i don't know that it's as important to take on big or small as much as an opportunity like playing an organized sport is a long journey of constant challenges of which you are overcome overpowered and successful and those three or two tracks let's call it failure and success each of those has a next step Right. So what is the next step you take after either one of those? You get time to practice that and practice that. And all the meanwhile, you know, that being the psychological side of things, football's very physical challenge. You're adapting from the stimulus of the physicality of your well, training, stress. your coaching, the stress to progress, yeah. folding the metal. But at the same time, think of like, uh, you know, as you're going from that wooden sword to maybe a plastic sword. And I'm not a sword connoisseur, John. So if you have a, a, a taxonomy or progression of swords, chime in. But you're also concurrently increasing your skill level and you're taking bigger risks. And there are bigger, you know, relatively bigger risks with bigger well, consequences and you just continue to adapt and learn from that shit hopefully or you fucking keep failing and no, you're a donkey well, well the right? other the other piece fits is um you have to be able to you know and i, I did a talk about this at the symposium a couple of years ago you got to be able to see the forest through the trees and you have to make a decision uh you know years in advance that end up leading to where you need to go so like you know i mean i remember when we got into the pro you know programming and we you know, we're putting training for FieldStrong out on uh, Power Athlete, which was a WordPress site. And then we ended up working with Train Heroic. And even though it was, you know, a hard migration and there's, you know, trials and tribulations and the whole deal, uh, I think if you remember what I said to you is um, what we're doing today is good to work with a few thousand, but how do we scale this to work with a few hundred thousand? And at that point, we had to find a technology partner. And even though it, you know, 
it was difficult to kind of you know rip the bandit off and get into this other system and get everybody there and you know whatever it allowed us to work exponentially with a, with a larger amount of people so sometimes you have to take a step back and you know not always you know think like hey you know what like this decision might not be the mo- uh, might not be the you know financially most intelligent decision on this moment but in 2 or 3 years from now we're going to see this thing play dividends and being able to sit down and create strategic partnerships and start seeing, you know, what do I need to slay a big dragon? I'm going to need a sword. I'm going to need art. You know, you're going to let's fucking analogies, dude. But you're going to need to create all of these pieces. And once you create and you find these pieces and you make sure that those uh, individuals have fucking sharpened their blade on so many different things that all of a sudden when it comes up, you're like, yeah, no problem. We're going to crush this out the box. So, you know, Dustin Grooms, who was last podcast, yes, said something that I don't know if it was simple of what what picked, but it fucking has resonated with me. Is you learn by doing, you know what I mean? And like that's such a it's such a simple statement, but you have to do something, which is like principle number two of working at Power Athlete. Don't do nothing. Yeah, you know what I mean. It don't it, be a donter. Be do, a do. No, be a doer. Don't. How do we say? It? Don't, don't be a donter. Do be a doer. Doer. But I j- just like th- I think of every milestone. You know, there's there's risk associated with doing shit as well. Like in training, you know, you have these minor risks of movement faults, right? And doing it, you know, no reps or stupid shit like that. But we're watching uh, Zach Evanesh's live Instagram uh, video today, and what did he say? And that I'm trying to tie into this. But it, it basically came down to, like, you, you, you need to, you just got to fucking go out and do it. Like, but, just do it. T- but it's not just doing it. You also have to have a guidance. I imagine the, the process of learning to no, forward to think. Bull- go, I'll let the you The forward to think, like, imagine being a, a child and losing, like, in peewee football. That fucking sucks. But then, uh, you know, parent or coach is there to provide you guidance. John, I'm curious at what moment can you recollect that switch to actually forward think of I can take a lesson from this loss or I can take a learning experience from this moment and start to forward think? Um, I remember when I was in my second year in school, uh, in college, and um, I was still trying to find um, like my place in the whole thing. Like I, uh, I wasn't a great football player. Um, I'll be the first to tell you, like, I, you know, I work, I I basically played myself and trained myself into it, dude. Like, there was a lot of natural kind of skill, and I kind of understood some things, but, like, I just didn't understand some of, like, the intrinsic shit. You know, I never grew up really a football fan. I didn't play football growing up. It just was something I kind of, you know, got into, and I was pretty good, but I was also bigger and stronger than other people. So, all of a sudden, that that rookie year, I come in, and um, I, I remember, like, I had desire. I was pretty strong. Like, I played. I was and timid, but there's like an intrinsic understanding of the game and leverage, and there's just some other shit. And I remember I was uh, I was going into my second year, and I didn't I don't think I played very well in training camp. And I remember my offensive line coach Tom Cable telling me, "Light hasn't come on. You're not fucking ready. I'm putting you on the shelf for another year." And he said to me, and I was like, "Man, that's bullshit." And I remember they didn't travel me those first couple games. And I was fucking like mortified because I thought, I mean, shit, in, in my, you know, in my mind, I would have been starting by then and I wasn't. And all of a sudden, like, uh, how many, how many guys does a college offensive line hold? 10, 20, 22. 20. 
maybe maybe 17, 20, somewhere in there. I think we had 20 because you got to figure each offensive line class, you got to figure you got to have four or five guys. So you got four years, you might have 20, 22, somewhere around there. Um, so the idea is that you platoon, you know, and those guys graduate and other guys fade out, guys get injuries and like take red shirts, other guys quit. I mean, it just, it, it just need probably 2022. 20, and I remember them telling me that and I was fucking pissed and uh, they didn't travel me. And I remember I'm playing like on the fucking scout team and, uh, and I was like, you know what? Fuck these guys. Um, you know what? Um, I'm a new, uh, I'm going to fucking take advantage of it. I'm going to dude. if they're going to travel, I'm going to go fucking hang out on Fridays and, and I'm going to bang some weights and I'm going to go to movies and I'm going to enjoy my life. I'm here to play, uh, I'm here to play football, but I'm also going to enjoy going to college. And so I had just been so focused on school and getting, you know, playing in this that they didn't travel me. And I was like, you know, fuck it. I'm just going to go out and have fun. I'm going to, I'm going to go out and I'm going to do my scout team job. I'm not going to be bitter about it. Cause you know, when you're a rookie a red shirt, you're like a fucking scout bitch. Like literally we would do warm ups, and then we would do a little bit of like uh, individual position, little technique stuff. And then they would break immediately during the week into the game week, they would break immediately into shit and we wouldn't even be with the offense. We would just go down and be fucking scout team fucking dummies. And that was our deal. So I did that my rookie, my, my uh, red shirt year. And then my second year, I thought I was going to be like, you know, in the rotation, I was playing, but like, I just, some, something, and I, and I, you know, we always joke a curling, right? Something just wasn't right. And I remember like not traveling and that thing kind of fucking put me in kind of a bad mood. And, uh, I just finally was like, you know what, man, like, I'm not going to let this shit dictate on me and I'm just going to do the best I can. I went in and lifted weights and I was getting stronger. And, uh, I was like, you know what, I'm just going to go out and, uh, I'm going to play hard on scout team. I'm not going to get bitched. I'm going to go out and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play as hard as I can with these guys to give them the best opportunity to go out and be successful. And so I went out and um, I was playing like every week against Reagan Upshaw, and Andy Jacobs, Dwayne Clemens, and these dudes that were all first round draft picks, Andy and Dwayne, or Dwayne and uh, Reagan were. And all of a sudden, like uh, my technique started getting better. I started playing harder. I wasn't intimidated and just like, I just started enjoying it a lot more. And I remember uh, Artie Gigantino, who was the defensive coordinator, came over and he's like, dude, you're playing better. He's like, well, you should, you know, if, uh, if only you'd played this well in training camp, you know, you might not be fucking down here as our bitch. And I was like, yeah, you know what? Um, I think I, uh, I, I forgot how to have fun doing this. And we kind of had a good chat about it. And I remember, um, going into offensive line meetings and Tom Cable, I think the way this goes, I'm, my memory's a little hazy, but the way it went is uh, we were watching film and some of the guys were kind of getting beat up and like weren't really playing that well and Cable fucking went sideways on them and then threw on some film of uh, a bunch of fucking scout team guys going against the defense. And he's like highlights me as I'm fucking, you know, basically road grading and like blocking Reagan upshot beating on and he's like, so... This fucking dude who's our who's scout team fucking bitch, redshirt freshman, is fucking handling probably a first-round dude better than you guys, and you guys are getting your ass kicked. And uh, at that point, like, um, the next week, like, all of a sudden, I was, like, traveling and this and ended up going in and, and playing and starting at the end of the year. So um, it kind of was like a weird click. And then once I got out there and actually played in a game, everything, like, settled down, and it became like I, I kind of understood it all. I think it just was, uh, I'd forgotten about like the bigger picture of it. And like, you know, I was so focused on the small stuff. I forgot like how to do it. And I remember it was all of a sudden this interesting thing. And I played that year. And then that next year, um, the guys that I was playing against scout team, all of a sudden, like, and the guys I had played against during the year, all of a sudden they're like in the NFL and they're playing and I'm like, Oh, wait a minute. Like 
like this isn't as big a jump and it's just kind of like a maturation maturity all of a sudden my strength got bigger I mean you got to remember when I went to college at 18 I didn't even own a razor I remember I was like there and like a weekend my roommate's like are you using my razor I'm like no why he's like well how come there's only one razor in here where's your razor I'm like well I don't have a razor he's like what do you mean I'm like I haven't shaved I don't shave like this dude shaved three times a day he's a fucking gorilla um, so I think like maturity and growth, I mean, dude, you got to remember I grew over two inches in college and, you know, put on 60, 70 pounds. I mean, went from, you know, fucking 200 pounds on a bench. I mean, it just, you know, squatted 600 when I was 610, when I was 19. I mean, just like this, I was kind of a late bloomer and it took a little while for all the shit to light up. So I just remember those being uh, a huge indicator. And, uh, then all of a sudden you kind of like get in the groove and you start kind of growing into your own. Uh, I'm really happy that I peaked later. Like I wasn't Luke Summers peaking at like 12 years old. Um, but I was kind of a little happier that I peaked a little bit later. Very accurate. 12 years old. Yeah. Maybe 14, you know, no, it was before that. Trust me. (laughs) (laughs) When did you get that tattoo, Luke? Uh, so that was after the peak. Uh, <laughs> just trying to read yeah, <laughs> well, 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 the tattoo is what you do to, to, to extend the peak. Ex- thank you, John. That, very true. Uh, which uh, is why I got a huge tattoo on my back. No, 17 years old was the old tribal armband man starting defense, middle linebacker. That's how we did it. What did uh, your dad DVD. say about that? The mom and dad. Uh, did they, my did mom they still was, not know? My mom was mortified, but my dad was like, who the fuck cares? He's a 17 year old moron. Like, I, my. My perspective on young men, I think, you know, you, you kind of yeah. turn into what your old man is or your, you know, a version of your parents, right? But I think he's fucking dead on on his assessment of what, you know, dudes, just dudes well, in general. He's like, what we se- was, yeah, he's turning like, 71 and he's like, I'm still like, an, idiot, an idiot. idiot. Yeah. Well, like Bob Wellborn said, don't let the 21-year-old get the 75-year-old in trouble. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And the other one, too, is our brains don't really harden until we're about 25 years old, so 26. So any, you know, decision up until that point is, you know, pretty awful. But then, you know, going to, I think my mom, who was mortified, her perspective was framed by her parents who thought it was like, you know, guys with tattoos, which this is now the fucking, you know, 60s, 50s and 60s, guys with tattoos are trashy and this, that, and, and I mean, it's a fucking... That's what I tell my daughters all the time. It, it, and it, there's... There's truth to that. There is. I mean, it's... But they were, they were fucking bummed, but they... Once you got those elastic sleeves rolled up over that bicep, oh, yeah. dude, there is like... You were fucking basically big man on campus. And there was no stopping us. <laughs> I, that's probably why we won the state championship is because we had armbands. Oh, it's, it's hand in hand. Um, <laughs> so the... Uh, uh, yeah, like... Uh, as you get into this stuff, like, and you think about, especially for, for gender roles and, uh, I posted something on Instagram. So hang on, before we jump into that text, did you have an answer to your own question about how to teach forward thinking? Yeah. I Still think to have to figure that I out. think to have forward thinking, you have to have perspective. Uh, Bob Wellborn classic. If you got to make every mistake yourself, you're going to have a hard life. If you can't learn from the mistakes of others, you're going to you know, have an even rougher life. So a wise man, a smart man can not only learn from his own mistakes, but can learn from those that he, around him. But I think that takes a certain level of perspective. So you have to have a, a, an understanding of, you know, a, the bigger picture of, a, of everything to see, uh, you know, to be forward thinking. And, uh, you know, here's the other one, too. Um, I think you... Like not every, not everything that comes to you and every opportunity, uh, needs to be answered and taken. Like I was really kind of thinking on this, like certain things come to you and you think, Oh dude, this is the one. And what have I always told you guys? Like if it doesn't happen, it's not the one because it's the next one, because there's been times when things haven't happened and something better has come down the road. Like you talk to a girl, she walks away and all of a sudden she's like, Oh dude, that girl kind of walked away. And then like the pretty girl sits down and you're like, Oh 
good thing I didn't waste my time on that. So like the idea of like, uh, being, you know, in the, you know, and this is kind of some Luke Summers where it's like, Hey man, the best party in the world right now is the one I'm at and I'm going to lead the charge. And so like that opposed from other people where it's like, Oh, there's gotta be something better somewhere else. And you're like, what are you talking about? This is the best moment ever. Like yeah, grass like grass is greener, right? Yeah. And, and terrible and, way of thinking. Oh, it is. I mean, that's what gets uh, 99% of married couples and people that date in trouble. The idea that there could be something better out there. I'm posed from realizing that like, so hang on. Uh, I, I truly, there obviously is something better somewhere. I think just by the fucking sheer, how vast opportunity is, man, there is always, there's always something better, but that doesn't mean it's fucking right. You know what I mean? But w- where we can combine this, where I was going to go with the forward thinking, I guess, is creating unique goals that always keep you progressing and working towards. Like, freaking starting on your college team is an amazing goal, but why stop there? Like, once you're in that starting position or place at the table, right? Mm-hmm. Where does the goal evolve? The goal must evolve. So I guess in my change of perspective would be creating... I guess forward thinking in quotation mark goals. So it's not just to get into a position to accomplish that, but then who do you become once you do accomplish that? And so, where do you go from there? So if we're breaking out of this restrictive paradigm, why is it fucking why does it have to be forward thinking? I want to go I want to do 360 thinking, like a globe, not like a disc, like a globe of thought. Explain. Uh, I think that the going to John's perspective, which I agree, I th- comes to something we talk about quite often is connection and, and creating a learning opportunity and a failure in, let's say, a sport. How can you connect that to anything in the past, present, or future? It, so the perspective is outside the lane that you're failing in or you're striving for or the goal is set in. You know, the, I look at it like maybe you're on a four-lane highway, maybe you're on an eight-lane highway. Whatever lane you're in and whatever you're failing in or succeeding in and goal setting in, Find connections outside of that, right? Yeah. And th- th- we talk about this within the educational stream within Power Athlete is the beauty of your progression through this coaching, whatever, the lifestyle, role, is your ability to make connections, the psycho-cybernetics, right? Yeah. Um, I think that's where when we come into this forward thinking and using it as a, a platform for growth... It's also about, you know, making connections laterally. Yeah, not what you failed at, but how you failed and you can grow from that. Because there's a similar experience that you could take that lesson from and apply it to. Bam. So shifting gears, I guess, John, to what you, you were getting into, Talk To Me Johnny. Listen, people, if this is your first time listening, maybe it is. Maybe you don't even know what a Talk To Me Johnny is. Jay Welly, a.k.a. John Warborn, a, a.k.a. John Wellborn, uh, well, had a hotter than fucking fire Well, what, what I'm going to do is I'm going to task Luke Summers with, uh, with finding me a new template so I can revive the talktomejohnny.com. Uh, classic John just creating his own barriers. No, no, no. I remember a John Wellborn I would used like, to just type in WordPad uh, on his BlackBerry. I, <laughs> I would like, I mean, we're going to pull it out. Uh, we're gonna, I, I want to relive and like rebring back the talktomejohnny.com. And uh, so Luke's crafting a template for me so we can migrate all this information over. But I've been collecting questions. A big thing comes down to is before I used to get shit like, hey, man, how do I get my recovery better or this? And now I get stuff like, uh, can you, uh, I am a believer in um, 
in creationism or uh, I'm a creationist, creationist, can you compare and contrast creationists um, with uh, evolution? So I have that one right now, which I, I've been teeing up, which is pretty interesting because the guy states in there that, and he's probably listening to this, that the world, he believes the world is six to 7,000 years old, which is uh, harder for me to believe because that yeah, means that there would with, be not a... Not line with your belief system, right? Well, it would have to predicate on a massive global conspiracy to carbon date and like find things mixed like and even like carbon dating they found things that were you know like uh like that means that the pyramids i mean it's just like uh, like i was watching a deal on like i uh, i'm fascinated by the sphinx i think the sphinx is the coolest fucking thing on the planet like the, the pyramids like i don't know if you guys know but there's multiple sites of pyramids like not only just people think of pyramids of the giza plateau but those big three ones but there's i think there's like six or nine different sites and they're all kind of along the nile but the interesting thing is that uh they believe that when they look at the weather patterns that the nile actually ran up to all the pyramids and they could sail right up to them which kind of makes sense like why would they build them eight miles away but the thing that's most interesting to me is like the sphinx which was obviously built much earlier but like the sphinx is eroding because of like there's like a huge like amount of water underneath it and so they've had this huge restoration project to try to save it but like the proportions like how it kind of fits and what's interesting is like when you look at the summer and the winter solstice where like the sun sets is between the pyramids and how the sphinx kind of all fits off and it's like tilted it's just to me it's a it's a super fascinating deal but it, when they kind of looked at it and they said, okay, if the gaze of like the Sphinx, which is a cat, uh, based off of like, shouldn't it be looking at like a certain constellation that fits? And they kind of went back and they kind of like, you know, put that basically, I think it was like 10 to 12,000 years ago. So, I mean, like we have these physical monuments on earth um, that don't necessarily line up with that narrative. And then the other piece is if you are a fundamentalist and you believe everything in, you know, Old Testament, New Testament, um, that means that you believe that two penguins came from Antarctica to get on our, our uh, Noah's Ark. So two penguins mm -hmm. walked from Antarctica to get a Noah's Ark. Yeah. So penguin, they can swim. So they got like I'm just just remember, there's people that believe that penguins got from Antarctica to Noah's Ark. And they like, took they took the ticket of the unicorn, right? Because the unicorn didn't make it on the ark. Right. Well, no, there are. Well, there's there's well, the um, unicorns made it on the ark. Well, no, but I, th I think um, I think there probably is something like I heard a, a deal recently where they they were calling rhinoceroses uh, warrior unicorns. Rhinoceri. Yeah, badass. I think those are warrior it's unicorns. But like, uh, was there at some point a horse that had a horn on its head? I would say that like maybe within time, like there was something. Because I mean, there, there's also like, I don't think it's myth mythical flying around, but I would imagine there was probably a four-legged beast that had a horn. I mean, look, look how many animals have horns. Uh, rhinoceros have horns. There's rhinoceri have horns. Uh, long, Texas longhorn beef. Yeah, so I mean, there's other things. I just think that it's there's... There's truth in every myth, but I just, uh, I've, I've been going through and kind of trying to dismantle this thing, but long story short, uh, I got a question based off of a Instagram post I did the other day about non-binary uh, genders. Yes. The idea that, you know, there's more than just male and female. And I was kind of always under the impression that you got, you know, if you have two of the same, you're a woman, if they're, you know, two different ones you're a man and like, you know, these are like based off of chromosomes. Right. Well, that, so with, with this, cause I'm, I guess frustrated, fascinated by that. This is a fucking thing. Right. Whoa. And that people hang on, uh, people fail to just acknowledge 
biological, psychological, and sociological. Like, yeah. Let's 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 create context there. So, well, so with what you're talking, well, about let's start is, with the biological, yes, right? They right. they have th- they have people like, or there's people that are, that have been born with uh, multiple sex organs. Like uh, I have an XY and X Y chromosome, and uh, I have you know a set of testes somewhere hidden in my body. I mean, like the idea of like you know there is some weird abnormalities within the biological sphere. Right. Uh, I just think um, it's, uh, you know, and then you're like, hey, this person was raised as a woman, but yet when you do, the, you know, the uh, biological, you check chromosome tests, they, you know, their chromosome points to a man. So, uh, it, <clears throat> and so my wife and I got into this discussion based off of this deal, what I thought, and what I've come to the conclusion is uh, I'm, I'm not really stuck into the idea of gender-specific roles. I think everybody should have a part in everything and everybody should have a skill set for humanity. Like, uh, don't be a fucking dick. So now we've, sh- we've shifted over to the social side of things. Yeah. I mean, I will, cons- I-, I will concert that, uh, or I will, I can't concert, but I will, uh, concede that, uh, biology is a strange, strange place. Um, I would think that if we could do a biological test and a chromosome test on every single individual, you can say you're a man, you're a woman. Now, whether or not you choose to follow that is a sociological thing. Right. Do I believe that there's multiple right. genders? I do not. I think there's man and there, there is biologically a man and woman. I also believe that socially or, you know, however you want, how you choose to live your life is completely up to you. But telling me that uh, there's biological, uh, you know, mixed genders and whatnot, I, I just... Now he, it's hard for, hard, harder for me to grasp. So, John, you and I are on the same page, text, in terms of biological genders. Any input? Yeah, I'm trying to... And then to, there are the anomalies. No, yeah. I'm, I'm trying to pull up a um, just a study that I read back a while back, psychologist, where a little boy, he was uh, going in for circumcision. Doctors made a mistake, and then his parents made the decision to then just go ahead and... Sex change. Sex change at that moment. Wait, wait, a baby boy. What do you mean mistake? They cut his penis off? I, I think it was like a catastrophic failure of a circumcision. Yeah, they couldn't, they couldn't undo it. So then they made the decision. Then they took his testicles off? So they yeah, mutilated they the penis and then... Decided to raise this uh, um, child as a, a, a girl. And then right about puberty, like he always, they always felt the, the intuition to go be the tomboy, go play the sports, be with the boys, not play with dolls. Purity happens, and then they tell they tell them what oh. what happened, and it's just a, a catastrophic shift in which. Well, I I feel like I'm a boy, so then they went back, and then he became a man, but he still was messed up psychologically, and then he got married to a woman, and just he ended up killing himself. But it's this whole like biology versus psychology, and this study plays out just exactly uh, like biological roles mm-hmm. that and instincts that we have within us. So that very interesting. And we'll get, we're going to loop back into that, but John, going to what you're saying about, um, you know, socially genders play being pigeonholed into gender roles in society. Here's where it gets fucking tricky, man. Well, first off, when you're talking about like um, uh, where you want to work or what profession you want to be, I'm with you. Right. But there are, there are, unfortunately, right, wrong, or indifferent, there are certain paradigms where there are gender boundaries. And let's just take... The Boy Scouts. Well, high school sports into example. Sure. 
right? So there is a uh, something I, I was plugged into. This is old, but I want to say there is like a a young boy who identifies psycho- psychologically and socially as a female and is currently winning state titles in track and field and wrestling because he's competing with biological women. He's a biological male. And in this district, he's bringing home state titles and medals and all this. And guess what? Scholarship dollars are now being put towards this biological male who psychologically and socially identifies as a female, right? So now you're getting into some fucking blurry lines there where I think, in my opinion, at this point, given the structure we've built, we gotta fucking, we've gotta side with biology on this one because there are perform there are there's a performance disparity in certain sports and events that men clearly have an advantage over women based off the hardware, yeah. right? It's just that like that's where it gets kind of sketch for me. You know what I mean? Like, what if your girls were playing lacrosse, right? And and they're constantly getting beat down by two or three biological males who identify socially as females. Do you find that, like, does that fall within your realm of fairness? No, I think, um, I think people are allowed to live the life that they want to live. Like, like, that's a big thing. Like, I was thinking about, um, you know, so much of this deal has been like, you know, uh, what I always find interesting in this country is that uh, people feel the need to have everybody, you know, like, use everything on their perception. So, like, hey, this is how I view everything. So then, therefore, like, that's how everybody should view and I should push my views. Right. So, like, here's my deal. If you don't hurt people, you can live the life you want. Like, like you know, people ask me about gay marriage or whatnot. I'm like, dude, if married dudes want to get or if gay guys or, or you know, lesbians want to be married to each other. and Rock on. Uh, yeah, rock on. Um, you know, the idea that this covenant and whatnot. Uh, if that's the case, then uh, how come when divorce is, you know, involved in the courts and you look at, like, division of property and all this other deal, you look at like uh, dependence and whatnot. To me, it's a uh, it's a financial and kind of a legal binding deal. Um, it, then it comes down to that they should 100% be married. Uh, so like, I don't have any issue with that stuff. Um, what I think comes down to the issue is when you get into things like fair play and whatnot. Like, it, it just yeah, man. I I think it's a it's a slippery slope. Like, yeah. I mean, and I don't have a better answer than it's not fucking fair. That's not how. That's not. The, the origin of these boundaries did not account for the complexities of the psychological, but they're, they're physical, they're tests of physical competence. So physicality, to, in my opinion, is a, biological, is a biological component of a human, right? Regardless of gender. So that's just how it fucking shakes out. Like, then those are the rules we should play by. Well, wasn't like, there can't a sprinter? You will yourself into being, like, faster. Well, I mean, there, there was a, uh, I think there's a sprinter that they checked on, like, that they looked and they, they basically did make her, had to do a... Um, yeah, so uh, this, this was in the book Sports Gene. Yeah, like the chromosome they, test. Yeah, how they used to tech, uh, test Olympians, whether they're male or female, was the old drop your pants test. Mm-hmm. And they decided that was degrading. So then what they did is go to blood test to check for XY chromosomes. And so there was clearly a, a female had the female hardware, but then her, uh, she didn't have ovaries. Her testicles just didn't drop during her development, but she, you know, she had a vagina. And so when they tested her blood, it was... Male. X, yeah, it was male, XY. So she was born with an XY chromosome, but she had female hardware. Exterior but hardware. N- exterior. exterior hardware. 
But this this was post gold medal. It completely ruined her life. Like husband left her because they couldn't have kids. They she lost the medal, and so she, you know, took it to court and everything. And it it talks about in depth in sports gene, and um, but then they had to redo the the test, the blood test for the Olympics. I don't, I can't recall what they do now. Uh, it just, I mean, how many of these cases are out there? Exactly. Well, that's the other one too. I mean, it seems like, um, you know, and where, where this got spurred was uh, the University of Texas is putting together a program uh, to what they say uh, coach men through to understand and how to deal with masculinity. And I took it as like they were trying to empower men to feel better about themselves being men. And that was what I had the narrative I went with on the Instagram. And then after I dove into it, that's not what it's about. They are viewing masculinity as almost toxic. And so now they would like to create safe spaces and help men figure out a new definition of masculinity that fits within their narrative of... It's fucking weird. Like I was reading it and the funny part is they don't have anybody to head it up. So they, they want to put this program out, but they can't find anybody to chair it yet. So they're out there actively doing an active search. So I recommended, I sent an email to the University of Texas recommending Mark Ripto as the director <laughs> for this. Uh, and he, uh, I texted him say, Hey Rip, I nominated, I submitted your name in terms of this. And he's like, you fucking Californians. Um, but the idea of like, uh, like and, and this is where my wife got in and I got into this discussion. I don't view skill sets and kind of roles as kind of male and female uh, until you get into like child rearing, right? Like there's no way I'm going to be able to carry a child. But to me, that's a biological. Logical deal, right? A, that falls so, under like but, primarily so, biological. But, uh, and that's child rearing, not parenting but, either. Yeah, but, so. uh, but like for example um, – so my wife, uh, she cuts the lawn. That's like part of our deal. She liked the, she, we have a mower. She likes to cut the lawn. She ended up high centering the mower on a big, uh, like a big log that got like somehow got washed out into our pasture from, uh, from up the hill. And she high centers the mower on the log. It like shuts it down. She can't get it restarted. She can't get it off the log. So she texts me and she's like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I high centered the thing. I feel like it's broken. I told her, I'm like, just leave it. Just walk away. Just leave it in the pasture. I'll be home tonight. So I got home, went out there, basically just stood on the back of it, pushed it up. DJ yanked the deal out, used the jumper boxes in the truck and just basically got it running. And she's like, wow, was that easy? And I'm like, yeah. I'm like, there's certain things that, you know, and I'm like, I'm like, do you think you could stand on the back of the mower and tip it over so you can get the log underneath? She's like, no, I don't think I could. I'm like, well, yeah, because you weigh 125 pounds. Uh, it's a little bit different. I weigh double your size. Like it's just, you know, for there, there's certain things that we do around here that I know, uh, fit within this kind of these gender roles. But as I told her, I was like, you know, I'm more interested in our daughter, my, our daughters and my son learning skill sets that I think every human should have. I think the girls should be able to change a tire. They should be able to do, uh, they should be able to cook. They should be able to do all of these things the same way the boy is because for what, like what if they get a flat tire and they have to change it themselves? I don't want them trying to figure it out by watching a YouTube video or having to wave and flag down some dude. They should know how to be able to like, Oh, we got to change this tire. Or, you know, in a situation like there's a bully. So what do you do with the bully? So what am I going to tell my daughters to come tell me, but I'm going to teach my son to fight. So I, I think we've we've identified problem solving and we've identified here. I mean, because it's like, oh, I'm so sorry you got bullied. These girls are being mean to you. I'm going to go tell the teacher we're going to move schools. And then what do you tell your son? 
I'm going to take you down. I'm going to, you know, we're going to watch a little karate kid and I'm going to teach you how to like wax on, wax off, or we're going to teach you how to fight. Like, which is what my dad did. Took us to the dojo, learned to fight. And so I, I think like we have this idea of like pushing our sons out there to be, you know, be a man, this, and, uh, you know, for our daughter's protection. But I think those are, to me, I think, um, we should, uh, you shouldn't raise your daughters differently. You raise your boys. So I want my daughters to have all this skill set. So just to note the book that I mentioned earlier, it's called it, it, The Gaman Person is David Reamer, and the book is As Nature Made Him. So if you all want to look into that, very interesting case. Uh, and it, he was a twin. So he had two boys, but then a girl and a boy. It's raising situation. It's fucking crazy, man. <clears throat> so, John, on to staying on the Talk To Me Johnny train, there's an article that I think that you're we're kind of fleshing through that I think is going to fucking crush it. And um, going back to one of the all-time greats of 42 Things I've Learned, mm-hmm. right? And then uh, Lessons Learned 2014 or 15, can't recall. And then even the, the year-end recap prior to 42 Things, uh, we have one kind of in the works working. Working subject matter is like, is you, you've had an experience to, like you like you have referred to earlier, meet an eclectic group of individuals of which we work with, we're friends with, we don't really talk to, right? All of these individuals seem to have these varying skill sets and you yourself are on a journey to kind of collect these new skills. In, in being able to evaluate that, I feel like you're coming up with a list of things. Mm-hmm. Like if we were to use your son as an archetype, well, or we, even your daughter, right? Let's stay out of the gender. Well, like your kids as an archetype. Where this started is uh, when I found out, I remember we went to the, the, the doctor appointment for the ultrasound. And they were like, oh, there's, you know, there's, you know, because we went with my daughter's like, oh, three little lines. I'm like, what's that? And they're like, three little lines. I'm like, what's that? And they're like, oh, it's a girl. I'm like, oh, twin girls. So uh, when I went for the ultrasound with my wife, I was expecting three little lines because, you know, historically NFL players and ex-athletes always end up with three daughters. It's just like the fucking curse. And uh, all of a sudden they're like, uh, that is a penis. And I'm like, really? No three little lines? And they're like, no. So I was like, oh. And so Kate was all excited. And so we were like, I was like, hey, when's the next ultrasound? So when we went back, I was like, let's do the birth check again because I didn't believe her. And so we checked it again and it was still the same to the point where I didn't believe it was a boy until I saw it come out. And I was like, ah, interesting. But when I told Luke, hey, we're having a boy, we sat down and wasted a better part of the day coming up with what we believed was the skill sets that we that we wanted to create a skill set that we could impart to a young you know, young boy growing into you know maturation so that when he leaves to college, he is not only prepared but 100% capable to slay all day and to do literally go out and crush the world in terms of like, you know, meeting girls and whatnot. And so we kind of came up with this idea of like, um, you know, and it, it really goes back to this idea of the Renaissance. You should be, you know, a poet, a fighter, uh, you know, an athlete, an actor, a, you know, musician, an artist. And we kind of went back to this kind of Renaissance deal, but, um, you know, being able to like, offer a skill set and, and prioritize things that at the time he might not realize are as valuable as they could be, but then all of a sudden later in life realizing how valuable they are. And I've just really had the, um, you know, when we had um, the dude on the podcast last week, um, 
Grooms. Grooms. He made a great point about uh, the day that you stop learning and acquiring new talents and new skills is when you start to kind of degenerate and age and you have all like these problems. And you guys know me in terms of skill acquisition, like I'm always fighting to learn new things and whether it be education or new skills. And I just go back to what, uh, you know, Roger Loyal told me, which was uh, nobody ever regretted learning to weld. And I remember Roger told me that, and I was like, I regret not learning to weld, at which point we started to learn to weld. And now, you know, uh, having, you know, burned myself and screwed up a lot of things, I'm fairly passable at being able to weld and fabricate and build some stuff to the point where, shit, man, we built a lot of stuff around here and being able to do some fucking cool shit to the point where, like, now it's like any problem comes up, we're kind of like, "Mm, yeah, we can fix that. We can do it. So, like, I I guess if that were to make the cut of something a person and let's you know your kids or your daughter or your son whatever should know it would be to be able to build something uh no but i think uh what it comes down to is problem solving so i think that you should have a skill set to solve any problem so let's but to say any any problem is kind of broad well big but like for example we live out kind of well we kind of live out here in the sticks in the country Mm -hmm. if i had to call somebody to come and fix everything or weld something or do small things like every little piece. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine, uh, one, how expensive, but also the, I mean, it took us f- fucking four weeks to get somebody out here to come, you know, do some wiring in our building. You imagine like, uh, putting up that roof and all the things that we've done just around here. I mean, think about when, uh, we had to put in the headers for the doors and do all that stuff. I mean, we couldn't get those guys here and what do we do? Fuck it. Let's figure it out. And we did it. Yeah, but so that like getting back to that, like there there are certainly levels of like levels of skill required in in the trades, right? But at a very fundamental level, what do you think is the most important? Like, let's say there's a listener here who's like, "Fuck, I don't know how to do what John's about to talk about." Well, what do you think is the most the most practical and valuable for the most people? I don't. Okay, so for there were a few things I remember um, from the time I was. Geez, I mean, uh, like. It, so part of my, like maybe two or three years old, this sounds kind of, and believe me, this sounds kind of crazy, but I used to stand on a stool and I would, uh, it's how short I was. And I would cut vegetables with a knife when I was like two or three years old, like Cashy's age. And he, he does it now. So he's got a little knife. I showed him how to like cut vegetables. And so I always helped my mom cook. And so like from like, uh, it was always a big deal. And I remember my mom joking and she like, you better learn to cook. Or you're going to starve because girls don't know how to cook anymore. <laughs> and so Uh, I learned how to cook at a young age, but I also learned like how to fix things and tools and mechanical stuff. So before you move on, let's stick with that cooking. To what degree do you think someone should be able to cook? Like dig into that. Uh, I think you should, um, every individual on this planet should go, should own the river cottage meat book. If you guys don't know what it is, look it up. River cottage meat book. Mark Ripto actually gave it to Uh me. Uh, that book talks about meat selection and understanding different cuts and how to prepare meat and this, and like, that was a huge deal, but like having enough understanding. And this is part, I like when I take my girls to, we go to the store, we go to the butcher shop or this, we always go through and we look at the cuts of meat and we talk about them and like, which ones do you like? And we pick different things and we cook them. But, um, one is, uh, being able to understand like different cuts of meat and then understand how they should be cooked. Um, I, you should be able to, you know, look and say, okay, like what kind of vegetables, how do I prepare? And you should be able to, in, in my, in my assumption is that, uh, every individual, if like, and you guys have come over to my house numerous times. And even though when we had the block one, I did overcook steaks, but have you ever cannot come over to my house and we've cooked and been like, fuck dude, that was really good. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, like, or you ever come over and been like, ah, that was kind of fucking, they kind of half-assed it. No, like you come over no, and you're like, yeah. yeah. And, 
and I say this true, like sincerely, not fucking lying. They were overcooked, but they were fucking still pretty good, man. Like they were good. Yeah, I know. I just, um, yeah, I mean, not all of them were overcooked. Yeah, my half of the grill, they were money. So I want to. Well, that, it's because I didn't understand the heat was coming from just one side. And so, I, so this is where I want to kind of dig in deeper. Is you know, there's a lot of guys out there know, probably know, may or may not know how to cook, but I or grill. Let's let's stick with grilling yeah. and specifically meat. I would say that if you were the place to start, and it's the it's the most inconvenient, is like with the ch- just a traditional charcoal Weber, and without any fucking tools, and be prepared to fail because there's a lot of shit you learn on that, right? Yeah. Because you can learn uh, holding your hand fr- from the coals five inches, one to three seconds is fucking high heat, you know, yeah. three to six seconds is medium high. Sit in these numbers, I can't recall if they're right, but you learn from feel what the heat is well for me i can feel it on my face like when i take the thing off if i can mm-hmm. feel it on my face i know it's high heat if it like yeah, and so, yeah like for me it just it, yeah like so as you learn these primal tools and then now when, go into the river cottage meat book like if you're cooking burgers you can tell the ten- tenderness yeah. of meat by how pliable it is yeah. right and how hard it is to put like if you can learn those skills for red meat for fish yeah. for and all the like your big four right your chicken beef fish pork Pork and what else goes on a grill? Other uh, lamb. Oh, uh, or like lamb is is uh, lamb, lamb will call it as a grease fire. Okay. So like we'll make like lamb burgers, and I always tell Kate like whenever we make lamb burgers, I always have to basically put down a sheet of tin foil on the barbecue, mm-hmm. and I cook them and try to get all the grease off, and then I'll throw them and finish them on the grill because I know it's going to be a fucking heavyweight for uh, fist fight. Yeah, yeah. But uh, like having a skill set to be able to cook a meal. Um, is to me is uh you know not only impressive but um you know something good like if, if somebody can come over and cook and it's quality and you know and, and not just not actually just the uh the actual physical heating of, of of whatever it is but like the preparation stuff to be able to go out and like hey this is what i want to cook this is like the best way to kind of put it all together and like you know just under having a, a deeper understanding and appreciation for that stuff um so what do you think the full meal would be? Like if you, I'm trying to create boundaries for young up and coming so, power uh, athletes. So if, if, if I wanted to, like, like an example, uh, we would go to like, we'll go to Whole Foods because it's local. Um, we would get, uh, I would get you a ribeye and I'd get you a filet. Mm-hmm. I would get you some cruciferous vegetables. Like I'd get you Brussels sprouts, I'd get you kale, and I'd get you some form of tuber, like a, a potato. And, uh, and then from there, I would make you select like a cheese and a few other things and mm-hmm. i would make you make like a cheese and like hors d'oeuvre plate that had some form of like dried meat so i'd like okay you want to get salami you want to get pepperoni like what do you want to get you want to get prosciutto and then to so be able to starter yeah to be able to pair the meat with the cheese and then as you go cook it because there's very different cooking styles for a filet versus a ribeye mm-hmm. so then hey how do i want to cook these and then also how do i want to pair the vegetables how do i want to cook them and then uh how does it all kind of go together and can i cook everything where it gets done at the exact same time that's a big thing, being able to be able to put enough timing to say, all right, I know if I've got to throw my ribeye on, uh, how long does my fillet need? How thick are the fillets? How, you know, how this? And just having enough skill set to be able to, like, work the grill and the meal so that I can get everything out at the right time. So I'm going to try to sum this up. So you're talking about hosting a meal for two and a meal for six, right? Uh, I think hosting a meal for two is a lot – is 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 – dramatically easier just feeding yourself but i mm-hmm. think bringing over and having let's say like four Six. or five other people yeah two other couples yeah i think being able to put that together mm-hmm. and then being able to knock that out and being able to be smart enough about how you put yeah. it all together yeah. um okay. so to me that's uh th- that's important uh the other one is um 
having opinion or at least like I hate when uh, things start talking or people start talking about stuff and they're like, well, I don't know anything about it. I don't have an opinion about that. And I'll be like, okay. Like, for example, the big one, you know, like, um, so, so what do you think of Donald Trump? And you're like, oh, all right. Well, he's the president of the United States. I've heard people be like, well, I don't have an opinion about it. I didn't vote. I don't care. And you're like, okay. So you don't have any vested interest in this country. You don't have any opinion in who the president of the United States is. And you just sure, truly okay just to hand that over the reins to somebody else. People are like, yeah, I don't like it. But I think they're just scared to, I don't know, either get caught for a lack of understanding or be so, know, attacked for their so beliefs. So what, what do they say, right? The, two th- uh, the things you should never discuss at a dinner party are what? Politics, religion, religion. and? What's the other one? Two? Food. Well, abortion. Uh, food. Food's nutrition. the other one. Yeah, nutrition. Because <laughs> nutrition. how many? Right, That's on the list now? So, well, oh, yeah. Hun- uh, 100% I, it is. We talk about that all the time in a good light. Yeah, but I mean, uh, have you, um, case in point, um, you know, Susie's a vegetarian. And so uh, we always kind of like, I always ask her and like kind of go through it. And she does it for ethical reasons. But then, uh, you know, I saw her kill a cricket. So that at that point, I was like, we well, killed that cricket. We should eat it. So, I mean, like, it, it just kind of comes down to, like, and I've, I've got into this numerous times with, uh, with people that are, you know, vegetarians or vegans or whatnot, and there's always this kind of, like, holier-than-now attitude. I'm like, hey, man, just because you think that's right for you doesn't mean it's right for everybody. I have plenty of ways to disagree with it, but, like, at the end of the day, so, I just don't care to argue with people anymore about, about what they eat and what they don't want to eat. Well, fle- fleshing out this point, John, I think, I think what it comes to you that we've talked about is owning your position. Right, not having an opinion, or I don't know, or I didn't have time. Well, I don't like care. The, all, all those things they they take, they take the, you take you are dismissing your ownership of something, and therefore you cannot be held accountable for it. And it comes down to, honestly, to me, it comes down it comes down to sliding away from accountability, right? Where I, you know, uh, uh, someone I'm close with recently had a traumatic loss, not of a human, but of an object, right? And, uh, and they're dreading, they're dreading like talking about the, the situation they're in because they're, they're out. They're embarrassed. It's very embarrassed. And my advice was, the, if you take ownership, like take ownership, yeah. just own it. Own well, it and it becomes, it's, but, it's rough at first, but it'll become easier in the long run. Here's the interesting thing, and we've discussed this, um, very rare where women ever take a self-deprecating role Whoa, in I didn't everything. Say it was a woman. Well, I'm just saying. Well, I'm just say this. Like, it's very rare that when you run into women, don't always take self-deprecating very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because I think like they're like secretly worried that like, what if somebody found out this was true? Whereas guys will be like, I'm a moron. But here we are into the gender bias and gender role, right? Well, why is that? I don't know, man. Uh, like, I mean, I want to say biology, but well, like there are, and there, believe me, there, I guarantee there are chicks. I mean. There are chicks out there, lady, and our two lady listeners, and I guess Callie, hey, um, that that certainly fall if we could put well, those Cal- characteristics on a spectrum. Callie has say male tendency and female tendency; Cal- they Cal- cross. Uh, right? Callie is uh, one of the only girls, and I, I think this is why uh, I enjoy being around her. That has a self-deprecating sense of humor. Mm-hmm. She will uh, make fun of herself before I get to, which is uh, uh, totally steals my thunder. I'm like, dude, and she's like, I knew you were going to say it, so I just said it first. I'm like, damn it, but like. There are some, uh, yeah, I mean, I just think with, when something bad happens and you do something stupid or, you know, whether it was intentional or not, if you, like you said, if you can own it and add a little self-deprecating humor to it, I think it just not only alleviates the problem, but also diffuses shit. But also if you, so bringing it to your initial example, if you find yourself in a hot button discussion 
in a social scenario and maybe you're not educated on it or your opinion is is uh, counter to the discussion maybe I'm trying to because I'm with you text you about being un- uncovered if uh, owning just owning that and owning it confidently you will not be seen as a you'll not be seen as like a fucking enemy, right? No. If you just own it and acknowledge the other side, I think own and acknowledge are like the the, the volley back and forth in any hot button topic. I, well, I, I like Luke's point of acknowledge because I think it's not it's important, right? Not what people think, but how they think, right? We're, we're I'm going to hang out with Bo. Bo and I don't agree on what to think, but I appreciate how he thinks and his thought process to go through it. So I'm not going to judge him by what he thinks. I'm going to appreciate the the guy, and we're going to have some fun conversations. But if you take that attitude, acknowledge into any conversation, then you don't stand a chance to hate somebody based off their beliefs. Yeah. And that was so the 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 cat who reached out to you on creationism versus evolution. He he like he embodied it in this email, which was I thought was it was yeah it, it was a, it was a well written email. Um, and the, what sparked it is I kind of poke fun at kind of the creationists. Uh, and here's my deal. Uh, I don't know. Um, but do I believe? that that word for word a book that was written uh you know some of the the books of the bible were written hundreds of years after jesus christ lived uh the council of messiah went through and looked at hundreds of different gospels and they selected so you have a situation where uh hundreds of or thought or geez i think like in the 800s they had a council of messiah and they came together and decided what books would be in the bible and they threw some books out, they threw this and they, you know, and so you have uh, the folly of man. I mean, you have guys, you know, people that have an agenda. And so we don't necessarily know what that other information looks like. And also we know that some of those books were written from a long time after he was born, I mean, uh, and lived. So I always thought like, especially with religion, um, why can't there just been a great man named Jesus Christ who had a, you know, helped people and, uh, you know, was this, you know, great figure. Like, why is it that we had to create all this other stuff? And so, you know, and then people, I mean, there's people that are fundamentalist in this book and believe that the you know world is this old, uh, you know, and believe that the dinosaur bones are just massive uh, scams and they're fakes and that there's this global conspiracy. It's kind of like the flat earth deal where they're like, Oh, it's a, it's a conspiracy. And I'm like, so what you're telling me is that the Russians and, and like the Americans at the height of the cold war got together to basically play this hoax and think about how many people had to be in on this hoax for like the moon landing and this. I mean, it's like, you don't think that the Russians in the height of this thing had found out that this was all bullshit, that they would have outed us? Like, it, to me, it's, it just doesn't make sense that, uh, you know, if you have this many people in on it, like, like there's no way. So like the dinosaur bones thing, like it just, and um, I remember Playtech made a pretty good point. He said, uh, to disprove evolution, you have to find one thing out of place. Like if all of a sudden we're digging and we find Triceratops and all of a sudden underneath that we find a 747. Okay. <laughs> like, I mean, that's what he said. And he's like, he's like, the problem is, is that we've like, you know, when, when we found all these different layers and whatever, we'll find like one version and then we dig deeper and we find like an earlier version and it kind of goes through this kind of process. And, uh, it's like, um, you know, I don't know, but I, I think we've been spun a false narrative on a lot of things. So people are just so naturally skeptical. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, my favorite one is uh, fossil fuels. Do you remember? They're like, oh, it's uh, the fossil fuels are there was these, you know, dinosaurs, whatever got compressed into this oil. And I'm like, that doesn't make any fucking sense. And the idea, I mean, 
the term fossil fuel was created because they wanted to make us believe that there was this like uh, like finite amount. It was a very limited amount of resource. Capital play. Yeah. Little do they know that oil is one, it's not from, you know, decomposed, you know, vertebrates that are crushed up. It's kind of the life oil of the planet and the reserves are unlimited. So, uh, like, like there's just a lot of shit that we've been spun out and we've been told that I think people are just naturally skeptical of everything. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's a bad thing, but I think that should, that should be your natural... I think skepticism, informed skepticism, should be a principle of life. And I think where we do a real bad job of it is with, like, medical. You know, John, and I... Like, you do a great fucking job whenever you're f- from the medical situations you've been in, whether it's, you know... Uh, because of a sick family member or even, um, uh, you know, like just mechanical issues, we'll call it, right? Where a doctor, a doc will give you an opinion because you got to go see him and then you'll be like, well, well, hang on a minute, you know, and like be skeptical and and informed, you know? And I think a lot of people, that's a failure on them. And I think one of these things that you should really push in this article is like be an informed skeptic, right? That doesn't mean necessarily question everything like for the sake of questioning, a.k.a. Luke Summers, but... Like, if you find yourself, especially in a, a hospital or a medical scenario, like, you don't, ex, don't, it, don't just accept the truth blindly. Like it, so in 2009, I went to go have my shoulder looked at by this guy who is at Curlin Job, supposedly like the shoulder expert. And he looked at my shoulder and he said, there's nothing I would do. I would just do a shoulder replacement on you. And uh, I was like, well, I'm not in any pain. He's like, well, what are you doing here? And so the guy like kind of like turned me off. And so I just haven't done anything with my shoulder. And I got this big osteophyte and a torn interspinatus and torn rotator cuff that I've just been training around for the last too many years. So finally, I went to go see a doc uh, a couple days ago at uh, Andrews Institute. And um, he's like, hey, man, he goes, we can stitch it all back up. We'll clean out the osteophytes. If I can get a little room in your capsule, I'll release the capsule. Uh, I'll hit it with every biological I can know. And he's like, and we'll just see what you can do. And I was like, that's all I want. And uh, he's like, you're probably, you know, the way that the humorous head is hitting, you're probably not going to be able to get full extension over your head. And I'm like, well, that's okay, because I learned to throw with my left hand. And so, like, I, and I always go back to this. is like I, I did this job. I banged weights. I played in the NFL. I did all these things. Like, I never thought I was going to come out of this thing, like, 100% fine. Like, if the worst thing that, that happens to me is I can't get full extension over my head, uh, I'm okay with that. Um, you know, like I'm still able to do a ton of stuff. Like if I can't get full range of motion on my knee, I still squat and I do everything. And it's like, I can't squat as deep as I used to, but like, I'm okay with that. Like, and I think the problem comes down to, uh, like you have to understand like expectations. So like I go to him and I'm like, Hey man, I just want to be better. I want to, you know, have all this other stuff. And he was kind of like laughed. He's like, man, he goes, um, uh, you know, a lot of people don't come in here with that attitude. And I'm like, well, dude, I, I never thought I was going to come here and you would take, got me back to like pre NFL days. And he's like, a lot of people kind of think that way. And I'm like, well, you know what? Like, um, I think it comes down to expectation. Uh, you know, I look at like doing the best that I can with what I have. And, um, you know, I mean, so let's, let's go back to, cause you're a unique case, right? You were battle, battle tested, right? Let's cause you're a warrior on that field. That like gridiron, right? <laughs> oh, I, hate that. I, know, I know. But so we talked earlier on like the, the philosophy of fatherhood and, and, and black Panther and preparing, right? So you have, I'm telling you, man, you have a skill or a trait when it comes to medical, whether it's on either end of the spectrum of medical, whether it's, you know, like injury or sickness, what, if you could impart something on your kids on how to deal with the, the current medical system, what would that be? Um, so here's, here's what kind of, 
irks me a little bit. Um, and this is just purely because of just my experience. Uh, we are kind of given this holier than now version of doctors. Um, you know, they like go to med school and like they're these, you know, healers and they know all this information. And I think what kind of stems back from it is I have buddies from college that are doctors that, uh, I wouldn't fucking pay to drive my Uber. So I think I, you know, when I look at this, I think just because we've assumed that, Hey, this guy's a doctor, he knows a lot of stuff. Um, I just don't think it's the case. Uh, I think we put way too much faith in doctors. And the other problem too, is when you get into a situation where somebody is medically board certified, they go to med school, this is the information that they are, you know, this, this fits within what the narrative of what the doctors, you know, are, are able to tell us. And so like, Hey, if the FDA and the USDA and this governing bodies decide that, you know, uh, that, you know, the way that you treat type two diabetes is by giving insulin, you know, instead of just limiting carbohydrate, cause type two diabetes is a disease of carbohydrate, but you can still have your chocolate cake. You just have to do this. Uh, I think it's, uh, irresponsible and, but that's the narrative, right? So it's like, I can't recommend, uh, you know, you go to a doctor and you're having a uh, pain and what does he do? Oh, here, take these painkillers. But, um, you know, chi- chiropractic is quackery. So the problem comes down to is when I went into the NFL and even in college, you know, injuries, things would happen and the doctor would tell you something that wasn't true or, you know, they were, they would make a mistake and whatever. And I got to the point where I realized like, I just don't think these guys know. And I think like the illusion of like, you know, hey, we know what's going on. We can do this. Case in point, I hurt my shoulder in college. Hey, I'm going to ride it. Nothing was wrong. So they told me there's not a single thing. And I kept telling the doctor who wasn't even a fucking orthopedist. She was a GP who had done a fellowship in orthopedist, who was our team doc. But because she was a, uh, you know, an Asian woman, Dr. Cindy Chang, she was our, she was checking sports injuries. And she said, there's nothing wrong with your shoulder. And then she told me, and I swear to God, you need to man up. She's like, there's nothing wrong with your shoulder. And, uh, this is all in your head. You need to man up and just go out there. And I was like, wow. Okay. So we had an orthopedic surgeon that would come periodically to like see guys with injuries. And I, I saw him and I was like, Hey doc, uh, my shoulder's fucked up. Can you look at it? He goes in there and he's like, man, your shoulder's clicking and popping. I think you might've tore your labrum. I'm like, he's like, what did the MRI say? I'm like, the MRI uh, didn't show anything. And he's like, ah, you know what? The labral tears, uh, sometimes when the tissue is thick, they can't see it. And he goes, and then he, he like kind of did some manipulation stuff. And it's like, no, nah, dude, you fuck your shoulder up and scheduled surgery for me. Do you know how fucking mad she was at me that I had somehow gone on? And he went in there and my shoulder was tore the fuck up and went in there and uh, fixed it. And I was fine. So, and then she was mad at me and uh, was like, you know, like pissed off. And I remember thinking like, um, you're a fucking quack. And to the point when Berkeley hit me up to donate money, I was like, I won't donate any money until she's uh, out of a fucking job. I think she's still there. But uh, it comes down to, man, people fail to margins their experience. And yeah. just because you went to med school, just because you learned the information doesn't, you know, uh, doesn't mean that you know the answer to everything. So what I started doing was I started searching out people that were experts in their field, like guys like Tom Inkladon and, and, you know, these other guys. I mean, I, I, I saw numerous people and it wasn't until I saw Craig Bueller where I was truly fixed. But how do you know these guys are experts? Well, because they tell you they are. Oh, okay. Right? No, but I mean, it, it, isn't that really what we do? I mean, so well, like... Would a doctor I, tell you he's an expert? Well, I mean, so here's the deal. I don't look for... Uh, I, uh, so think about this, man. Like, um, I think... 
like for me, uh, with my knee, uh, Dr. Stedman was my guy. Steady was my fucking white knight. He fixed me when, you know, when I didn't think I could be fixed. And like he, the day he retired, I remember thinking like, shit, I can't go back to the NFL just cause Steady retired. But, um, that idea of like finding, you know, whoever. And so, you know, for me, I went to, you know, uh, I met Dr. Hans, uh, who's the guy who just went and visited and he's the head of regenics or regenerative surgery for the Andrews Institute for Dr. Andrews, who's, you know, he and Steady, it's like, they're one and like, they're the two guys for knees. And, uh, I went and saw him and, you know, as I was talking with him about, you know, shoulders and this and, and how it all fits, it's like, you know, if you're the head of regenerative surgery for Dr. Andrews and for the Andrews Institute, I'm pretty sure you're pretty fucking good. So I would put him in, an, in a different camp than just, you know, the normal orthopedic surgeon down the road, because not only is he working with the world's best, uh, you're, you know, the best of the best working at the best. So, um, and, you know, and people that work for the Stedman Hawkins, same deal. So anybody that kind of, and he was one of Steady's um, fellows and then worked for Dr. Andrews. I mean, so I think a guy like that to me could get classified as, you know, being there pretty good. Tom Inkledon's another guy, um, in terms of like experts. And it's just because of the opportunity they've had. And a guy like Tom, like, I mean, never, not, he's never not in a state of growth and learning. And I only know Dr. Tom and he's always in that state of growth and learning. I heard a line this morning where it takes 17 years from published research to work its way into practice. And so it sounds like these guys are for growth versus uh, the mere exposure bias where what they learned you know, way back in school or their first exposure to a piece of information has to be the way. Well, I mean, so there's, so there's a lot of shit we don't really know. And I think anybody that tells you they know everything um, and what I, I appreciate about guys like Dr. Ans or the other guests that I've, I've talked to is um, uh, I'm going to and, and this is always what Steady said. I'm going to do the best I can with my experience and then I'm going to just like m- do the minimal I can. You know, instead of going doing this and this and trying to do all this other shit, I'm just going to give you the minimum because, uh, you know, the, the least amount that I can do you know, the, for the biggest return is what I'm really searching for. And, um, you know, being able to find somebody like that and then also to find somebody that you trust and how it all fits. But I just think for a lot of people with a lot of doctors, um, I I just don't buy the narrative Um, just because I've heard so much wrong shit, like, and things I know to be, uh, you know, juxtaposed to what I, I, you know, I know to be true. So I just think, um, uh, you know, one, like, regardless of what people tell you, I think you have to be informed. You just can't take stuff on blind faith. So if, you know, you go to a doc and you get a, you know, a uh, diagnosis, I think you as an individual have to keep searching um, and just, you know, make your own decisions and things. But uh, what else? All right. Let's see. What, what else do you think a young, a young power athlete or a, you know, your kids or offspring? I, I got one. Travel. So you've fortunate opportunity to see the world, man. Where are you going to di- direct the, the girls in cash to see first? I where, am. Where should be first international trip for our power athlete listeners? Um, so one of my biggest regrets in life, and you're going to laugh at this. Uh, I took a class in college. Um, you guys, we were fortunate to have Stephen G. Miller on the podcast, who was my professor. Uh, I took him for ancient athletics, wanted to, but also uh, he taught a class that was based off of Rome and all of the monuments of Rome. 
oh, it's a great class, Johnny. You should take it seriously. One of the hardest fucking classes I've ever taken. You literally showed up and watched slides of uh, different monuments in Rome and had to not only remember them, remember where they are and give at least two or three lines of basic significance of them. So needless to say, I, I, I studied my fucking ass off for this thing. And I had this amazing appreciation for Rome. And uh, I, during my NFL career, I somehow never got there. And it was one of those things where I was like, man, if I go, I want to go for like weeks. I want to go for a couple weeks. I want to like walk the Roman form. I want to stand or stand in the temple of Castor and Pollux. Like I just like all of these things that I had seen in this class and uh, I haven't gone. And I've like regretted the shit out of me. And I keep like on my wife about it. And she's like, oh, the kids are going to be too young. And I'm like, no, we're going to take them. We're going to go. So for me, um, uh, things with culture. I mean, I like uh, going to Brazil, even though I wouldn't recommend anybody go to Brazil. But uh, we had a great adventure there. But I mean, being able to go like in South America, Argentina and some of the places we've been. But, you know, even going to Spain when we went, uh, you know, we went to Spain and had like an epic adventure. Uh, just, I mean, just, but, but I think the cool thing is, is being able to go to places that have a different culture and then be able to appreciate that culture. Um, I think people, um, you know, get so caught up, but I am. Uh, so, so let me phrase it. Let me try to pull, pull out a, like a, a more generic approach. How many travel stories should you have in your back pocket? From in, I'm talking international stories, should you have in your back pocket to entertain a dinner party or be able to contribute? Do you think um, it, one uh, is enough? I think you probably... Zero is not the right answer. Well, I, I'll tell you this. I, I, I think um, some of the, the most interesting things that have ever happened to me have happened uh, while I was traveling. Mm-hmm. Um, some things where, you know, you, cause you're, you're in a situation that that's foreign to you. So I think when you're in your everyday deal, you're kind of in this autopilot, like you wake up, you do this and this. Mm-hmm. And I think when you travel, it takes you out of your comfort zone and makes you reflect on things around you. Uh, you know, and just, so you th- should, you should have at least one good travel story at least in the more but, the barrier. But I'll, I'll tell you this. I mean, we, we used to go to Mexico all the time when I was a kid, cause Mexico was like a pretty safe, fun place. So we used to drive down to like uh, Puerto Nuevo, which was a little lobster town and go down there and have lobster tacos for, for lunch on a Saturday. And like, we had some great adventures, but I'll tell you this, some of the, the coolest memories I had was visiting, um, state parks. Uh, we went and saw the giant sequoias when I was a kid. And like, I remember standing there and like hugging this giant tree and just being like, like realizing that like in the life of this tree, I'm just literally like a grain of sand in the wind blowing, you know, like it's just like this tree and they, sh- and there was a huge cut tree and they showed all the rings of like time. And, you know, like this tree was already old when like Jesus was on the planet and it existed for all these years and just realizing like, you're just part of a smaller piece uh, you're a small piece of a giant puzzle. And so I think that was really impactful. Um, like just, you know, as I went through, you know, like the other one, I remember when I was a kid, we went to London and visited all these museums and like castles. And I just remember like my mom's like, what do you think? I'm like, I just don't know why all the, uh, all the armor, like, I didn't know like, like why were kids wearing our armor? Like, why did all these suits of armor we see for like kids? She's like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, did you see how little they were? And she's like, no, that's how big the men were. So like all the armor that we saw, like all the royalty guys were all like little dudes and they all like the armor was tiny and I just like thought they were a bunch of kids. And so, uh, like that was super interesting. And like, we just got to see interesting if back then they were like, I don't know the average height, but let's just say under five, five average height. And they called Napoleon short. How short was Napoleon? Mm -hmm. I'm sure I can look that up right now. Nobody, nobody knows. 
Yeah, I'm sure we could look it up. But like th- that type of stuff. I mean, uh, some of the traveling we did um, just, you know, like I remember we went to Puerto Rico, which I had never really kind of was. Eh, but then, man, I we had an amazing time and saw just a beautiful place. So I think uh, would, it, tra- would it be the family vacation or buddy vacation? What do you mean? For travel. So we, you gave some examples of your well, family trips. Yeah, I mean... Uh, is buddy trip like I, a whole different category? I don't think I get to go on buddy trips the same way I used to. I just don't think that it would <laughs> work out mean? the same way. <laughs> I just don't think my wife would be like, hey, I'm going away for a couple of weeks. My wife would be like, you're dead. Uh, but I think... Uh, I think being able to take my kids, like we've had some fun, uh, you know, like my kids were little, like we took them to Hawaii and some stuff and like, uh, really haven't gone any like big adventures with the kids yet, but like, I'm kind of excited to go, uh, just for the fact that like, uh, I want, like, I would love for the kids when they're older to be on a podcast and be like, man, when I was like seven years old, my dad packed us all up and we went to Iceland, drove for like two hours and he and buddies were trying to like lift these stones in the middle mm-hmm. of like the, uh, the wilderness. But then, and, and like, like, like that type of story. And then like, they'll be like, and then like, and then they're like, oh yeah, like what was it? So like, turns out it's like these ancient fishermen, like in like being like, an, or, you know, like just some of the adventures of things, like what do they remember? Like, what do I remember as a kid? Uh, like I just constantly kind of go back in my mind and think of like, you know, like what kind of things that we did, like, what are the memories that you want opposed from being like, Oh, what'd you guys do? I don't know. My dad sat in the couch and drink beer every Saturday and Sunday. Uh, I don't know. We ate fucking TV dinners. Like I, I, I just don't want to have that be, you know, be my life. Yeah. But um, you're looking at the perspective of your familial unit again, like preparing for when you move on, right? You want your kids to have, the confidence in the desire ultimately to spread, like to go somewhere, to go travel, like, the, you know, right. Yeah. Is that what I'm picking up on? Yeah. Well, I, and, and I want them to feel, um, the, uh, almost empowered. The ob- yeah. Like the obligation to do it. Well, yeah. Like empowered. I want them to be like, I, I don't want them to have fear. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I like, like, like fear is an interesting thing, man. Like fear can be both good and bad, even though we, people always put fear in this kind of bad category. I think like, uh, fear can be healthy because it can sometimes, you know, like, put you in a, you know, in, in a better situation or be able to do things more intelligently, but also fear that becomes crippling where you don't do things because you fear, uh, you know, becomes dangerous. So I would just love if, um, you know, my kids understood how to like kind of judge things. Like, um, I'm not fearful to do something. I'm fearful of like doing it poorly, you know, kind of like, um, hey, uh, I'm not going to go buy that, you know, that meat right there that's $45 a pound because I'm fearful that I'm probably going to fuck it up or like be like, oh, no, I can fucking crush that out the box. Yeah, but going back to where kind of our first discussion is, you should, that's probably not your starter kit. Yeah. Right? So, you know, it comes into building confidence with like starting the process and build confidence, right? Yeah, like if, if, if your first trip uh, of leaving the United States is like you're going to like walk across, uh, you know, you're going to start in Vietnam and walk all the way to, to Spain, like you probably should take some other trips leading up, but like... Or not, I, fuck it. I, I remember uh, one, one of my fucking biggest regrets was uh, one of my buddies, Vin, Vinny Vincenzo, um, who owned a, a Vespa dealer in Philly. Uh, Vinny was like talking to me. He's like, dude, we got to do on this adventure. We, we're going to fly to Vietnam and you buy these like little like scooters, these little Russian scooters, and you ride like a thousand miles on the Ho Chi Minh Trail to like, you know, south. And it's like epic. Like it takes a couple weeks, like this deal, we're going to go. And I'm like, I'm fucking in. And uh, 
he fucking ghosted me at the very end. Like I was going, like we, we had tickets. I was all set up. We'd email dude. I'd, and all of a sudden he just go fucking goes dark on me and I fucking bitched out and I didn't go by myself. And I always regret not fucking going. And, uh, and then we were going to have another adventure where I was going to drive to bike week and he was going to fly and go with me. And he ghosted me on that one. And you know what? I said, fuck it. And I went to bike week and, and literally drove from California to Daytona beach. Uh, is that, is that the, the IHOPs? Yeah, where I only ate at IHOPs. <laughs> so it took me like four days to get out there. I fucking rode, you know, kicked ass for like five days, and then it was four or five days back. So I was gone for like two and a half, three weeks and um, had an epic adventure by myself. And the reason I did is because he fucking ghosted me on that fucking Vietnam trip. And uh, like, I am so pissed that I don't have, because I can't really imagine doing it now. Because um, one, I probably couldn't get the time away, and two, that I probably wouldn't take the kids. But when I was like 26 years old, the thought of basically going to like Vietnam and riding a little piece of shit 50, you know, 125cc motorcycle a thousand miles would, would have been like one of the most epic adventures and one of the coolest stories on the planet. And, uh, I fucking, you know, I got ghosted on that one, but it was probably smart that I didn't cause people die all the time mm, on that shit. John, that trail is still there. So whenever you're ready for a buddy vacation, I think we're, we're going to fucking be in now. We'll lose, we will lose McQuilkin. So the good news is, but the good news the is odds are people will get hurt. And the good news is, if we take McQuilkin, he owns those odds, and we'll be fine. <laughs> but I got, I got the Irish luck. I'm going to survive. It's just I'm going to get hurt. Well, I'm here's out a, some stairs. Let me tell you, dude. When we went out drinking on St. Patrick's Day, all of a sudden we like fucking smoke bomb and escape. And I look around, and there's no McQuilkin. Mm-hmm. And I realized I'm like, that's Tex. Tex is just fucking. Lo- uh, that <laughs> leave also, me behind. That's so, happened a few times so hang internationally. On, hang on, hang on, hang on. We also had, we have obligations. You had, you know, you had to get back to your family. Yeah. Um, Dave had to get back to his family. I, I had to get back to my, to Packy. And like, I mean this in a, an endearing way. Tex had no one. So like his family was everybody else out on fucking St. Patty's. Oh, and dude. If lying. he were to go home, we, he would not be living it down. Well, uh, it's kind of like we were standing there and uh, I just remember that the chick that had horrible breath and really bad teeth coming over and talking to us. Double fish hooks? No, no. Uh, this oh, crew, the Canadian gal. Yeah, the Canadian gal. And then, like, was all, like, hoity-toity. And then, like, was like, oh, I'm Canadian. And I, like, you know, me being of Canadian descent, uh, you know, I remember reading McLean's. And I always keep up on, on what's going on in Canada. And I'm not a Trudeau fan at all. And uh, I was like, man, uh, like, and then all of a sudden I brought this up and you would have thought that I fucking spit in this broad's face that she was like, I love him. He's the most wonderful. And I, and I, I and then the interesting joke was uh, my uncle dated his mom. So I always thought that was kind of funny. Um, so when he, he got up and I remember my mom telling me that and I'm like, ah, personally, I think he's a fucking idiot. And I think uh, um, I don't care for his policies. I don't like, and this woman lost it. And I just remember being like, uh, somebody who is going to be this vocal because she was starting to get mad should really brush your teeth because you look like those fucking fur on those so, things. So this is probably, this is a rough segue, but I do want to get your perspective on this subject in terms of owning or managing conflict or conflict resolution, right? Going along the themes of your obligation to arm your kids with a tool set. I've seen, I've seen you handle conflict, John. And, uh, you know, you, your stature affords you like an, a certain approach, but... For, for listeners out there who may cower away from it or their instinct is to, to run away from a Are you conflict. talking about like physical conflict or like no, anger? Maybe. Well, here's the thing with the physical because I think that's a different 
uh, will probably naturally segue into that. I'm just talking about conflict resolution, and it may be between another person or you find yourself in a shitty situation. Like, what do you think the principles are that you live by if you're fucking up shit's creek without a paddle or in a situation like a confronting situation that you would love to see your kids or just any of um, the fucking people listening, what, what should they, I how should think, they manage it? So, so there's, uh, when it comes down to things, and I realize this, or I think I read this years ago, like there's two types of kind of people, especially when conflict happens. There's people that like think with the rational and then there's people that go to the emotional. And so like, for example, like, Hey, uh, you know, you're at work and, and, uh, all of a sudden the boss calls you in because you've been, you know, fudging on your, you know, uh, on, on your contractor payments and you've been stealing whether or not you intend to or not. And instead of, you know, when you get confronted, instead of being like, fuck, you're right. Um, I made a mistake and, uh, you know, what do I have to do to, to make this right? Which is what a human being should do. What do you do? No, I didn't do this. And you want to deflect and you want to go to this emotional place where now you're the victim. Uh, what I w- just like, for example, if, um, you know, you're at a bar and, you know, some guy's acting like an asshole or whatnot, and I- I've actually done this where like people start getting, de- uh, getting crazier, you know, want to cause conflict. I always kind of rationalize with them. I'm like, dude, is this really what you want to be doing? And like, you know, I'm like, is, is this really like, this is what you're going to go with? Like, this is your fucking, this is your play. And like, you give them a little bit of rationale on this thing. And it's like, for me, I would always hope that they would uh, default to the intelligence side and the rationale and make the best choice because sometimes the best choice isn't always going to benefit you the most. The problem comes down to uh, if you just act within the emotion of everything, uh, normally it's not going to play out the way you think it's going to. So like you're never going to like, you know, talk your way out of it. But I'll tell you this, like a lot of people will just be more happy that you were a stand up individual and not the fucking scumbag that uh, that, that you appear to be. Mm-hmm. So, uh, for my kids, I would always say, you know what, um, if, and, and we, we deal with this shit all the time. Last night was a big deal. Like taking responsibility for what you've done. Like my, uh, my daughter Killian didn't want to come down to dinner, which, uh, for some other reason she didn't like what we were having. So she didn't want to eat, which to me is disrespectful because my wife cooked, uh, and it was a badass meal. Um, she ended up making like salmon on the grill. It was killer. She was like, I don't like that. I want to have this. And we're like, you get one meal where there's no special fucking meals, you eat this meal. And if you don't want to eat it, you can go upstairs. And she went upstairs. And to me, uh, that's disrespectful. Um, mom cooks, you're eating. Like I was imagining Doris Wellborn, if, uh, if she cooked and I didn't, oh, I wouldn't even like, I, like uh, even if it was awful, we still ate it as fast as we could. Like it just, that's the way it worked. Like I couldn't imagine that. And so we got into this big thing and she didn't come down. And then I asked her this morning why she didn't come down. And then she tried to tell me she wanted to, but Jamie didn't let her. And I just remember being like, uh, these kids are making bad decisions. Mm -hmm. Like, and I try to talk with them and be like, Hey, at the end of the day, you you know, the difference. And I go back to Andy Stump, the difference between a man and a boy is a man does what he has to, a boy does what he wants to. And if if you're always living in, this is what I want bullshit, you're never going to mature. And I think, uh, Andy made that point when this guy was like, you know, uh, um, you know, how could you have gone and done what you've done? And he's like, dude, it was the job that I had to do. And it was what I was required. It's what fucking men do. Mm-hmm. And I think that piece comes down to, I mean, case in point, like, uh, we have, um, a mutual friend who, you know, the, you know, husband and wife that are, you know, going through problems and, you know, this, and I was kind of like listening to like one side of it and like, kind of like some of the statements. And I was like, man, like, um, 
that sounds like little kid shit. That sounds like things like this is what I want and I need this and being like, dude, you have a wife, you have children. Uh, at some point, uh, you don't get to be selfish. You have to put yourself in a position where like it's their time and I might not be always to be able to make the decision that benefits and, you know, my emotional child is being nurtured. I'm like, Hey man, you had your fucking chance, mm-hmm. raise your fucking children and be a good person. So, so through all that, I've, kind of came into confrontation. So conflict's not necessarily what I'm curious on, but it's more confrontation with that conflict or whether it's another person or a problem, problem solving, right? And what I pulled out of it was, you know, there is a, I'm going to call it the offensive, like offense, but I don't know if that's the right term, to have the emotional quick response, right? And I've been fortunate over the past, just I guess growing up to see either couples quarrel or, you know, just fights, you know, fights between family, friends, things like that. And my first instinct on this, and I'm not saying I'm right or wrong, is to like disarm, disarm the emotion out of it, right? But it's it's easier, or so a lot of us have an easier reaction to like go on the offensive and volley back, you know, versus right. maybe a strategic uh, dis- disarming, right? Uh, not to be confused also with like cowering and submitting. Right, so I think that like disarm is one of, would be my advice. But now let me let me. When do you think it's appropriate to go on the offensive in terms of like, okay, so someone's coming at you. When when is like when is it able? To, when are you able to go back? And well, I, I'm not saying I think it comes. Like, uh, fight the guy. I think it comes like for like like for like you should like a uh, force multiplier, right? So if uh, if somebody comes at you real strong, but like here's the deal, man. Like um, I think. If uh, and this kind of is getting into uh, bullying, so I'm I'm leading uh, into that, right? Because well, like, when is it appropriate to go like to push back versus disarm, like, and take the what I would say the rational well um, in conflict. <sighs> I don't think bull, like uh, uh, bullying's interesting. Like I, I was kind of like you know like there's been a lot of talk about it, and I think like bullying's like a state of power, right? Like people like like why does somebody bully somebody else? It's because because they can. Mm-hmm. I is, is it? Is I mean, I was a pr- I was an asshole when I was a kid. I guess I, I've heard people classify me as I was a bully, and I, I maybe I was, but I I don't ever remember like I don't know. I just remember being a big dumb fucking kid and making fun of kids who were funny looking and uh, making fun of cool kids who look cool looking. Like I just I don't know. I was just ball, a ball buster. I thought, but I one of my best friend's parents growing up who loved me was talking to another parent in their new neighborhood and uh and my name came up in discussion and she said like this my buddy's mom like i I love her she loves me she's like family and uh it was like they were talking and she's like wait you know luke summers she's like yeah and then they said at the same time i love luke summers and this other parent said i hate luke summers it is because apparently this other person i was a big bully to their kid and i I just don't even fucking remember it uh okay so i'll tell you this i mean i um i don't know like if you think about like the bullying piece like like why would somebody bully like i i I don't don't know like it just it it, to me it's uh it's kind of an interesting phenomenon and i think where everybody is like is, is trying to figure out is like, oh, this problem with bullying, why are people bullying this? And then realizing that like bullies have ruled the world for, for millennia. Uh-huh. And so how do you stop a bully? 
And I'm more interested in teaching our kids how to deal with bullies because there's always going to be a bully. And the minute, like, like you're, you're never going to like get to the point where you're like fucking you've sanitized bullying from the world. And if you can, I mean, so example, like I, I, I listened to, uh, and I, I remember Andy make this statement where people were like, Oh, it's so terrible. He's like, you know, um, uh, there's, you know, places in the world, one of them is Afghanistan where, uh, you know, if women have, uh, you know, are educated, what is like past eight years old or, you know, uh, like I remember just a story of like, you know, these guys saying, you know, walking into a town and just seeing a bunch of women that had been buried up to their necks on a soccer field and it had been throwing stones at until they were dead. Like you still live in a society that stones people for having knowledge and for speaking their mind. So, uh, you know, you have a situation like that on one side of the world and here we are and, uh, you know, a kid's being mean to another kid onto a situation. So like, you know, two very different deals, but how do you deal with that? Is it fair to say it's like a tree falling in the forest? It don't, you know, it only falls if you, you can hear it or if you're no, going to hear but it, but I, like is bullying only an issue if someone accepts being bullied, being the victim? Yeah. Or if somebody goes to, I mean, I, I can think of uh, situations like if you're bullied or whatnot, like how you necessarily deal with it is kind of interesting. Um, you know, and then also realizing sometimes that uh, uh, people bully out of their own insecurities. I right. mean, I, I remember I was at camp and a kid was a fucking asshole. Uh, he was um, not very smart and was kind of like, I mean, just like fucking, and he was kind of a dick to everybody. And I remember he fucking punched me. And I remember like thinking to myself, I should whoop the fucking dog shit out of this kid. And then realizing like had this moment of clarity and I was pretty young. I remember thinking like, there's really nothing I can do to this kid that he's not already doing to himself. And I kind of was like, fuck man, like if I fucking whoop this kid's ass and he'll be the victim in this whole thing. And like, He's already a shit fucking uh, shithead. Yeah. And I just like, and I, and to this day, I still regret not fucking beating his ass, but I had this kind of strange moment of clarity. But I also think like, um, I like, it's a, it's a weird thing. Like, um, you know, and really like back in the day, it used to come down to you get bullied, you know, and then what happens? You come home, you go talk to your dad and your dad's like, no problem. Here's what you're going to do. And you're going to fucking punch this kid in the face and you're probably going to get your fucking ass whooped. But I'll tell you this, if you fight back and you actually put up a decent fight and don't go out like a little bitch, uh, it's going to stop the next day. And you know what? And you got to go out. You're probably going to take a beat, but you're going to land a blow. And then you know what's going to happen? That dude ain't going to bully you anymore. Mm -hmm. But I'll tell you this. The one thing that makes bullying worse is being a victim and taking it and then letting the bully see like i mean i'll tell you this i mean i learned this pretty young uh from my older brother ed uh if he were to say something because my brother eddie has got an extremely quick wit and he's sharp dude uh he has an innate ability to find the one thing that you don't want to have somebody say to you and then say it to you in such a way that's fucking will be cut you very deep. And I remember, uh, he would say shit. And if I showed any emotion or I like it, I gave off the impression that it actually kind of like fucking rattled me. It wouldn't stop. Mm -hmm. So I got to the point where I was like, I'm just going to pretend that like what he says to me is fucking never. And it was confusing for him, but like, that's what he's always searching for. Like, what's the emotional response? How do I kind of get it? And I think with the bullying stuff, I think being able to like, Stand your ground and be able to say, hey, man, I'm not going to let this affect me in a negative way. And uh, if things get bad, I'm just going to have to fucking throw down. And I'm probably, I, I might take a beat or I might not. But at the end of the day, I'm going to stop it right here. What do you think? Because getting in a fight in the wild, like we'll call it like a street fight, 500 street fights, fucking knock around guys, starting Vin Diesel, great fucking monologue. Hang on. Why you give me that look like you haven't seen this movie text? Well, uh, you show it to me. It, no, I think it might be Four Brothers. 
Is or, it Four Brothers? Uh, I I remember Knockaround Guys, but I don't remember the 500 fights. But uh, We'll get to the bottom of this yeah, real yeah. quick. Uh, I'm on it because you've shown me this clip like every time we <laughs> before we go to a bar. Yeah, yeah, because it gets me fucking pumped up to disarm some fights. But um, I don't think encouraging your listeners or your kids to get in fights is the right way to yeah. do it. But like you should be prepared to. Well, right? I, I think, so what do you in, in like, there's, well, there's fight boxing classes and yeah. things like that. Right. Well, I, I, I always think too, if uh, the first time you ever get punched in the face and uh, I'll tell you this, I think everybody should get punched in the face at so least how? once in their life. Like the, you think go, boxing? Yeah. I mean, like I'll tell you this when, uh, you think, like, when the, fir- the, the I, I got into a fight in school and I remember, uh, I had been in numerous fights before, both uh-huh. with my brothers when we did martial arts and the boxing ring, whatever. And but not in the face. Uh, no, I got punched okay. in the face plenty right, of times. Right. I remember I got hit and like when the other dude got hit, he was like crying and super emotional and this, and it was like this emotional place and he was, you know, fucking, you know, crying it up. And I was, you know, I'd been there before. Mm-hmm. It wasn't that big a deal. So like I knew what to expect. So what I don't like in life is I don't like um, I don't like being surprised by things. Like I want to feel like I have a skill set to handle just about anything. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, with that stuff, if like my kids go to school and like I have not prepared them for some form of physical violence, like they get jumped, they get their ass kicked, and like they had never been in a fight, they weren't ready for it, they were this. I don't think I prepared my children. Mm-hmm. Because the world is a violent place, right? Yeah, and I mean, I'm not, I mean, there's... There, like I said, there's places where they still bury women up their heads and throw stones and kill them, dude. So I was... I was it's funny going into the bullying thing. I I had a, an older kid bullying me. And I, I fucking owned, picked a fight with the kid. He was bigger than me. He was two years older than me. I was in sixth grade. He was in eight. This is right around peaking time. And uh, it was like fucking out of a movie, man. It's like, all right, at the bus stop. All right. It's on. And then, like, everybody knew. And then they fucking all, you know. And I was also careful enough to understand that there was a big field to get to our pace bus stop. And on the other side, there was a sidewalk. And technically, the other side of the sidewalk wasn't school property. So I was savvy enough to push the fucking fight out to that area. Anyways, walk up. They circle up. And it's like, push, push, swing. He swings at me first. And I fucking obviously bob. And I come around with a right just straight. And I punch the kid. And he stumbles back. And like, big dude. Tough dude. Like, has a, like, one of the tough guys. Starts to cry. And I felt, in God's the honest truth, I felt absolutely terrible. I regretted ever getting in a fight. I'm like, I don't like how I feel about hurting this guy. And like, he starts to walk in crying to the fucking principal. Narks me out. And fucking, I get suspended three-day out-of-school suspension. Off school property? Yeah, fight? which was like the unprecedented and changed city ordinance shit for that, that because of that, the schools could discipline students off of property for getting in trouble off of property with suspension and shit. I was, I was the case there. And I go home and like my dad finds out and I'm like, first time I've ever been suspended and, uh, you know, talks to the other guy's dad and this and he comes in and you're fucking waiting for some fatherly advice and discipline. He's like, want to go fly fishing? <laughs> like, yeah, I guess. Aren't you mad at me? He's like, no, punching a kid older than you and bigger than you, making him cry. It's like, get the fuck out of here. So when uh, I was uh, in high school, uh, there was a big fight at my school. And actually what happened was we were walking out and they, there was a, a guy who played on our football team was standing in the parking lot. And this dude kind of swerved his car, kind of like driving his car slow in the parking lot, kind of like swerved over and ran over his foot. And the dude like turns. I was like, ah, and like kicks the back of the car. 
And as we're like walking out, we see this go down and these two dudes jump out and fucking go over there and push him. And one dude throws a punch and like fucking punches him. And we're like, what? Drop our backpacks and fucking jump in there. And uh, we proceeded to fucking beat these dudes asses. Come to find out that they were uh, actually older dudes that were like assistant basketball coaches that were in college that came back to coach high school. And uh, we ended up fucking mopping the floor with them. And um, uh, so we ended up leaving, of course, like fucking cowards that they were. They fucking called the police. Their parents oh, called God. the police. And they're fucking older. They were over 21, dude. We were all under 18. And uh, they got their fucking asses beat. And what did they do? We ended up all getting fucking felony assault charges filed against us. And I was uh, on fucking probation. Back then, huh? Yeah. And, well, uh, California. I well, guess. yeah, but I mean, all, also, I remember the mom uh, fucking, the, one of the moms pushed it a bunch because her fucking son got his ass beat. And I remember um, they fucking, they like didn't arrest us, but we all got fucking charged on that bullshit. And uh, so that was what I had to do as a senior in high school, which meant I didn't fucking get to do anything because I was on fucking this formal probation bullshit. And I used to have to go down and do all this. And it was because we got into a and these guys were in their fucking 20s. They were my brother's ages and they fucking ran over a dude. They fucking threw the first punch, knocked him down. We saw it and we went over and fucking handled shit. And because they got their asses beat at the end, they were the victims and we were the aggressors. Mm hmm. And that's how it fucking worked. And uh, to me, uh, one level of fucking cowardness on their fucking asses for the fact that uh, they got their asses beat by a bunch of fucking, uh, you know, 16, 17 year old kids. And uh, they pushed it and pushed it and pushed it. And they ended up getting it filed against us. I mean, to me, it's like, hey, man, you took a beat. You were fucking assholes. Get the fuck out of here. And um, to me, it's like. Uh, like to me, that was uh, a level of, of bullshit that I still am pissed about to this day. Uh, you know, like, Hey man, if you're going to fucking, if, if you're going to get on, you're going to throw a first punch and you're going to engage in this and it doesn't go the way you want. Be prepared to suffer the consequences. Yeah. And then, then what are you going to do? And then you're fucking, you know, cause you're, you know, you're home from college living with your mom and then your mom is fucking calling the DA trying to get the shit filed against us because your child was fucking wronged. That's fucking embarrassing. And I, and, and I'll tell you this, man, I haven't seen those dudes in years. If I still see them, I'll probably can call their shit out on that. And you know what? And my mom to this day is still burned up about it. And people are like, oh, I thought you were an asshole in this. And being like, fuck them. Like, I'll tell you this, man. Like, I, um, uh, as I've told the story numerous times, I got in a fight when I was in junior high. And what did Doris Walborn say? I'll never be mad at you to fight. Just remember, if you lose, you can't come home. And I think that was a good piece of advice. So is that, when would, if Cash comes home, what would he have had to have done in a fight for you to be... Disapp- uh, disappointed or like uh, I think there's a that point would go against the grain like uh, take it too far yeah, type yeah. Deal? like like if um, I I think kick a guy while he's down or yeah I I think uh, one I don't really believe in anything like if, like I don't really think that there's uh, such a thing as fair fights but like you know a, a dude like like I would never be upset unless it was like hey me and my buddies jumped some dude and I was like it was multiple against one dude that ain't fair yeah uh, I would also be um, not happy if uh, like like there's a way to like lay it like to you know put a beat on somebody or how to like put them down in such a way but like you don't have to go and fucking maim them it's not like Mm -hmm. you're gonna bite their ear off or something right like no fucking mayhem but i think like being confident enough um like i remember i i I was went to school with a dude who was a pretty pretty good martial artist and i remember like one time i like cut in line of him something he's like well get behind me i'm like fuck you he's like dude seriously if you don't i'm gonna fucking whoop your ass in front of all these people and i was like no problem. Get right in front of me. And I was smart enough because he was fucking legit martial artist. Like we fucked around and I knew he was a badass and uh, he probably would have fucking, 
he would have put me down. And mm-hmm. I was like, all right, I'm smart enough on this one. I don't need to fucking know that something is, I don't, I don't have to touch everything hot to know that, it, that I'm going to get burned. And that's just having enough awareness. And, you know, my brothers talked to me the same way. So I, I think uh, having boundaries and, you know, maybe growing up the, the youngest of three brothers, like I just kind of like figured this shit out or, you know, or when you didn't f- figure it out, your brothers were there to put you back in place. Mm-hmm. So... I don't know, man. I think, uh, I think for my son, I just, um, one, I, I would just always hope that, uh, if he were to tell me the story or somebody else would tell me the story, he acted honorable. Mm-hmm. And one, uh, I never put him in a position where he had to act unhonorably. Like mm-hmm. for example, he's in a situation and his buddies and they like, you know, these four or five guys jump somebody and he's, I'd be like, dude, come on. That's not you. Yeah. yeah. Like I haven't taught like, like you don't jump somebody yeah. like that doesn't make sense to me. Mm-hmm. Or if you got into a situation where like, you know, oh, I picked up a, a bat and hit him. I'd be like, come on. Like, like, like that, like, like those things wouldn't happen. I think, um, but the dude had a knife going at my friend. I hit him well, with a bat. Then you know what? Then, right? then that's so, an escalator. But you also have to remember too, like, you know, and I, I wonder how this kind of fits into it. Like people are fucking crazy, man. Like you got, you. You, you got kids walking into school with guns. So like, I think from like that bullying thing, and that was pretty interesting with that kid in Florida. So, I mean, like I listened to all these kids get up and talk and I remember, uh, this one, you know, for the one kid being like, yeah, I mean, admitted like, uh, we kind of, we bullied him. We, we weren't nice to this kid. Mm-hmm. And he came back and he shot up to school. I'll be like, uh-huh. that's crazy. What uh, what about with the daughters? Could, like, I fully expect we arm these girls with the ability to defend themselves, right? Yeah, I think um, as a girl. Well, here's the big one. Could I, they do anything? Uh, I think that would like be yeah. quote unquote dishonorable and like de-escalating um, a physical confrontation. I think as a girl, uh, and this is same with your boys. You teach them the same way. Um, one with with girls, like don't ever intentionally put yourself in a bad situation that will lead to to like you know like for example, you go to a party and you have a whole bunch of drinks and then you know some dude ends up like you know you're passed out and you get raped, like is, you know should that guy act honorable? One hundred percent. Should he do that? One hundred percent. And that's a fucking awful thing. But also, mm-hmm. uh, I'm not going to put myself in harm's way. So a big thing for me, especially with my daughters, is being like. Here's what danger looks like. Preventative maintenance. Yeah, and right? being like, hey, man, like, like, here's the type of things that could happen. Um, and I'm just going to be real honest. If you make these decisions, uh, you have to depend on the, honor, on the honor of somebody else. And I don't want you to ever have to depend on the honor of somebody else. So uh, we have to be smart. If you're going to go out and you drink, like, you, you know, like, I don't want them to have their first beer or uh, like to have a drink. Like I've always said, man, like the kids are old enough. I want them to take them to Oktoberfest and have some drinks and like have them see it and like kind of see what excess looks like. Because, I mean, I've never in my life seen people get more smashed and act stupider than I have at fucking Yeah, but they're mostly Canadians. <laughs> no, they were Germans. I, I remember. Do you remember that lady that fell off the table and her dress was over her head and she was older and not wearing any not underwear? Wearing which underwear, yeah. it was awful. And it, like we were like, oh. uh, uh, but and she was absolutely fucking. She couldn't get up. She was fucking stuck. And uh, like to me, I think just seeing that, like uh, my parents were pretty good. Like I remember we we would travel or whatever. They were always like, hey, I want you to have a couple drinks and like I want you to like like understand this. Like I don't want you to like you know, understand this in different ways. So I, I think just developing a skill set. So an- another rough cut here to another subject, what type of, and think practically not, okay, let's, we'll go to objective and threshold, like maximum, like ideal and then minimum. Okay. In terms of knowledge with automobiles specifically, you know, like just day to day automobiles, what knowledge do you expect your sons and daughters to have minimally? And then maximally? <laughs> I would expect, 
that one, they have an appreciation for certain automobiles. So they would like, like they could look like if, so well, for like have a favorite at least. Well, or like to, you know, uh, like one of my uh, least favorite things in this world is if you've ever owned uh, vintage or kind of unique automobiles, when people come over and want to talk to you about them, like as if they know, and they don't know what it is. Oh, like, oh, uh, you know, my uncle totally had a Lincoln like this. And you're like, it's not a Lincoln. It's a Mercury. Like, what do you mean? Like, they're, you know, you know, both Ford products, but two very different cars. Or being like, oh, is that a 53 Chevy? And you're like, no, that's not a 53 Chevy. Like, uh, like you know, like, it, it, like to me, um, and I know this. Uh, so you're saying that's at a minimum or that should I, be? Uh, for, so at a minimum, I, I think you should. be fluent in no, all no. classic cars. If you don't know what it is, keep your mouth shut. Okay. Bob Wellborn. <laughs> it's better to have people think you're an idiot than open your mouth and prove it. Right? <laughs> so what I, what I do is if I don't know what it is and you walk over and you be inquisitive, man, that's a really cool car. What is that? Oh, geez. Okay. Yeah. I, that's, you know, like that's a new one to me because I have people all the time and DJ will laugh about this. Like you're like, you, you know, you drive your car, you do this and people like, Oh, that's a great looking Bronco. And you're like, Oh, it's a K5 blazer. Uh, like, and you know, you, you're not necessarily mad at the person, but you just basically, uh, have, uh, qualified yourself as a fucking douche who doesn't know. And is trying to like, you know, Oh, um, you know, like, uh, like it just, to me, so, it's like, so um, look- like, like I can hear, I can hear a clack of a six, two, from miles away. Like I, he, I can hear Texas car when he makes a left on the 71. I mm-hmm. can hear that clack. Cause I know that rod knock sound. And like, to the point where like, it, like, like you guys will hear me and I'll like, look around. I'll be like, hold on. It's coming. And you're like, what is it? You're like, Oh, it's a six, two clacking away. And it's just like, it's like your 12 valve. Mm-hmm. Like to me, a P pump 12 valve is so unique. Uh, just like a front engine Ferrari or this. And I like, I know if it's, but like, uh, so that would be like what I would say optimal, like, yeah. Really, well, really well, it's goal. Yeah. But, so, so let me let me put words in your mouth and tell me if you agree. You should have. You should be able to look at the emblem and know the make of a fucking car. Or if somebody ninety percent of cars. Or if you see a pop of like a hood, I should be able to go in and assess what kind of motor that is. Like okay. for like for example, uh, Fords have a distributor in the front. Chevys are in the back. Uh, if you don't see uh, um, you don't see a carburetor or anything, there's a good chance it could be you know a diesel. But you can also look at a ga- at an exhaust pipe and know if it's a diesel or a gasser. Um, you know, I can look and see coil packs and know if it's an LS. I you know I can spot a fucking awful Coyote motor. Uh, you know, I know I, I know the difference between a big block and a small block and this. And you know, somebody might be like, oh, it's a uh, you know, I mean, some oddball shit. Like I don't necessarily know that ton about you know Pontiac motors, but like, but, but at the end of the day, if you if someone were to pop a hood, you should know whether or not it's gas. Like, or diesel. Yeah. Well, if it's inline yeah. V, right? Um, you should be able to count or guess cylinders. Yeah. Yeah. Right? So, like, those, I'm just trying to think of folks listening if they were like, fuck, I, I don't know if I'm, it's like looking at a fucking magic eye when someone pops a hood. Well, fucking figure it out, people. Yeah. And you know, uh, have at least that base level of it's, knowledge. It's like uh, John Custer sent me, uh, uh, he, he was eyeballing a, a square body, 80 square body, and he sent me a picture of it. And uh, I was kind of laughing a little bit because I texted him back. He's like, what do you think? I'm like, ah, it's a little gaudy. Uh, it's not really my, my taste. It's also on like 15-inch wheels. And I was kind of going, it was like a you know, K10 long bed and uh, on 10 bolts, which as you guys know, like uh, we only drive K30s, which have one ton Dana 60, 14 bolt axles. Um, so there's a very specific, and I told him back and I was like, hey man, uh, only look for K30s. Like when it comes to square bodies, like that's there's a reason we rob all those parts and put them on our other trucks. Like it's easier to start with that. And so just, 
having a basic understanding of um, one, how to drive a manual transmission. That's what I think a big one we got to work on. Uh, so I, th- I think my girls should be able to drive a manual. I think that they should um, they should have enough understanding to either, if they don't know, be inquisitive, and to uh, being you know like if they do know to have a basic understanding. Like um, so, when I was at my dad's memorial service, I told the story about us buying my '49 Mercury, and uh, one of my mom's friends came over to me and said, uh, and it was pretty hilarious. I hadn't seen her in like geez, 30 years, right? She's like, hey, did I tell you that my brother had a '51 Merc? And I was like, oh, really? And she's like, yeah, he. Uh, uh, he got it in high school and this dude wrecked a, uh, like a sixties Corvette and he basically robbed the, uh, the four speed in the 427 and put it in that Merc and used to drag race it. And he's like, dude, he smoked everybody in this Merc. And I'm like, it was a two door four door. She's like, no, it was a two door. It was unchopped. It sat there, you know, and she like went through it and she's like, oh, it had this Corvette 427. It was like the, uh, the four, uh, the 435 horsepower one from the late sixties. She had like a Muncie four speed in it, like rock crusher. And like, dude, she was literally like reliving this car and just saying how her brother used to fucking just whoop everybody in this, in this Merc, which is a big car. And like, I started laughing a little bit. Um, just because her memory and she's like, God, I love that car. But the fact that like, she uh, like was throwing these pieces together. I was like, huh, like, like that's, that's a pretty cool story that your brother parted out a a wrecked Corvette and fucking yanked the uh, only cool thing about Corvettes that I like is 427s and dropped it in and then like raced this thing, which to me would be something that totally we would do. And it just was interesting that how many people, as I told that story in front of all these people, came over and started telling me different like car stories and this. And it just is kind of from a bygone era. Um, I just don't think that, uh, well, I just, I mean, and to, to me, um, there's something cool about driving something older that involves an intrinsic knowledge or maintenance. Like, and you guys, um, just through just osmosis being around all of us, like, uh, I'm stoked that you guys drive trucks that are super unique, mm-hmm. like your 12 valve. I mean, there's a reason we call it the unicorn is because they only made it for a few months. And it's like, I mean, when it comes to like Dodge pickups with, with diesel motors, like that is like the quintessential truck. Like if they said the best ones ever, it would be that truck. And I searched for it. And I mean, Texas, you know, I, I mean, there's a reason I have multiple of Texas truck is because to me, a single cab K30 80s uh, pickup is like the one everybody should have. Like it's to me, it's the sexiest. I love square bodies. Like it's just those things fit like, uh, um, you know, like you should be able to look and, you know, like uh, I would imagine my little girls would be like, you know, one day they'll see a Mustang. But God, my dad had a 68 and a 67 Shelby and uh, used to take his riding and that stuff. And, you know, just these cool stories or whatnot. But like, I think there's like a connection to this stuff. Like my mom's first car was a 56 T-Bird. You know, and uh, and she told the story and sees it. I mean, it's like DJ and I rap about this stuff a lot, man. Like there's a there's a uh, there's an honor and there's an intrinsic knowledge in not only knowing about the cars and like setting them upright when people come over and talk to you about them and that you have a you know basic understanding. Like I always laugh whenever some guy's going to start talking to Tex and Tex is like, I'm getting better. They're starting. Are you? Yeah, people are. And yeah, man, freaking. Uh, it's new. But it this is, is like taking yeah, on... 6.2, Chevy K30, 1986, and then we get into their year. It's mostly like old guys who, it's their high school truck, and they just <laughs> want to relive it, and it just takes them back. So uh-huh. it, it's cool that they appreciate yep. this truck 30 years later. And then when my one thing my dad told me about it, he's only seen pictures, hasn't seen it in person yet. He always wished that he could have a, a car from his year of birth. So he's like, don't ever lose it. Do whatever you can. Were you born in 86? Yeah. I didn't fucking know that. Yes. I was born in 98. 
Well, no, but I, I like that was totally. No, I peaked uh, in '98. That was just merely just accident that we got an '86. Yep. Oh, that's fucking awesome, dude. I, uh, I'll tell you this: there is a uh, uh, the end of the Chevelles were called Lagunas. And in 1976, Chevy made a what's called a Laguna S3, which was a car that they built for NASCAR. It's got this killer front suspend or uh, front kind of grill nose, and uh, it was the last of the Chevelles. I think they only had small blocks in them. They might have had a 400 cubic inch small block. Uh, I've always wanted one because they actually had them in NASCAR, and they outlawed the fucking front end. And dude, I, if I ever, uh, that's it, that's it right there. That's a 76. That's a 75, but they're pretty much the same. That car to me is so fucking cool. And it's about the only cool car they made in 76 because the mid 70s was awful for the, uh, the gas crunch. But, um, well, I told you what my, what my fucking, my, my, I don't want to call it a dream ride, uh, but is it the IROC Camaro? No, not the IROC. It's close though. Remember it was parked on fucking 12 and I shot you. A oh, the Mustang, the 5 Mustang. Ah, dude. Uh, 92 5 I, I know. Like, here's the thing, people. It is a, like, I know it's a douchey uh, car. Uh, they are, um, uh, it's so douchey, but yeah. like. There is this kid, Tim Blonde, in high school had this fucking screaming fucking Mustang straight pipes like that, fucking five-speed, and just used to tear around town. Now I thought it was so fucking cool. His was white, though. I obviously would go black. But uh, that's what, like, I can see myself, if if the opportunity comes, fucking spinning on that. But I don't know. what. So what's in, besides, obviously, these fucking beautiful trucks, 82 would be my birth year. So what what else is fucking tearing around that's Uh, a memorable 82 vehicle? uh, The only thing which I thought was cool from 82, and you might want to look it up, is uh, what what did the the 82 Camaro look like? like, Mm. Was that the IROC? Or was that? uh, It was like, I think, 85. Okay, so the IROC Camaro, you see that one? That mm-hmm. Those are actually kind of cool. Uh, what else did they make in 82? You're really striking somebody, out. What? what? The GNX. Oh, GNX? GNX? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, put, put in a 1982 GNX. There's, there's people those are actually right now, fucking screaming. Those their car. are badass, dude. <laughs> oh, uh, th- those were uh, grand. Uh, those were grand nationals, and they made a special version called the GNX. Uh-huh. Uh, that black one right there. That are, are they? I, I want to say they were supercharged six cylinders. Is, is this kit? Yeah. Is this Knight no. Rider? No, 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 no. So that would have been that was a Buick GNX. That they were a uh, a, a super um, a supercharger on a six cylinder, and they were fast. So yeah, Buick Grand National. Yeah, those are badass. So I guess like from this discussion, here's what I'm kind of picking up on and just kind of principles of automobiles, right? First and foremost, know your fucking makes, right? Well, Second is, uh, yeah. is have a competency in manual transmission. Yes. Right? Um, and then have a make, like your, have a, just a car or brand. Or, make, or something, model. yeah. Like just have, just in, like, it's, and you should know a little bit about it and be like, ah, you know, I'm a, I'm a Chevy guy or yeah. I'm a, you know... Uh, whatever it is, right? We're not really Dodge people, but we are Cummins people. Mm-hmm. So, like, I'm like, a, I'm, I'm a fan of Cummins because uh, I love the engineering of like a straight six, like four and a quarter bore. Like to me, the uh, the twelve valve inline six Cummins motors are like the, some of like the most basic, most amazing engineering that I've ever seen. I just I'm in love with it. So I'm a Cummins fan. I'm not necessarily a Dodge fan, as mm-hmm. you know, because uh, they fucking fall apart around the motors, which is hilarious because the truck will disintegrate and you'll take the motor and put it in something else. But it's just they they just are they really cheaped out on like the amenities on the inside. The dash is cracked. The fucking mm-hmm. paint is shit. Like, 
but unfortunately they just run forever because the drivetrain is fucking epic. Uh, if, if you could have got, um, if you could have got a Cummins in like a Chevy, uh-huh. but then Chevy after 87 went to an independent front suspension and got rid of their straight axle, which was, I think it was terrible because, uh, Chevy was the only one that went to an IFS Ford and Dodge still have straight axles in their, in their, uh, in, in their three quarter ton and, um, one ton trucks. So, I just I think uh, Chevy fucked up in that way, but um, I think uh, you know a lot of this stuff comes from not only knowledge but also like you know like what you know like what your family's into, whatnot. So I always imagine the girls will grow up, and who knows they'll they'll never care, but they'll see something, and be like just kind of laugh, be like, "What's funny?" Be like, "I don't know." My dad, his buddies had all these fucking weird, and then like they'll like talk to somebody, and they'll be like, "Wait, well, what did they have?" No, they put these like thousand fucking horsepower big things in these trucks and did all this crazy shit set up big burn piles. I mean, it's just like, to me, I think, uh, that's like, I, I think about as much as they're my memories, like what are their memories, you know? And that's kind of the, kind of the cool shit of this. So we, we touched on like, I think six or seven things that I think are pretty legit. Uh, what, oh, um, um, what art, else you got? uh, art, art. So, uh, one of the, one of my favorite experiences of growing up was um, I took ceramics all through high school, and I do. And you guys laugh because we still use all my stuff. Like uh, I have like a teapot and coffee pot, like like all, all that shit you see. That's I've made all this stuff. I made so much that like we still use it. And uh, I think having something artistic, um, I really wish we had metal shop uh, at my school because I would have like been in that. But I, I still like we have a bunch of the wood shop stuff I still made. But it's amazing how many of those skills in terms of the wood shop and, and this that I, that I got when I was a kid, we've used around here. I mean, dude, it's, it's unbelievable. The, like within the last year and a half, the amount of skills that uh, I've had to relive and, and remember from, from different has been, has been huge. So I'd say within that vein, like be able to build something. Yeah, right? But and if you can turn it into, if that can parlay into something that's art, but like some sort of manual. But, but, but like something like uh, artistic, like um, uh, whether it be, because I, I really think we're, we're missing the boat here in, in education, especially with like the decommissioning of physical education and art and these core, like kind of like what, what I, I call like artistic pursuits, like music, art, drawing like this, like pottery, like something that forces you to like create something with your hands, whether it be like fabrication or what, like something that like teaches you like this dexterity, like, um, how I can envision something and then create it with my hands, I think, um, is something that we're, we're really missing out on. And I guess what I'm getting at is like art is just, to me, is a higher degree of construction. Yeah. Right. So even at the most fundamental level, if you could fucking build a deck, like you could, you could say that is art. It sh- might be shitty art, but like it fulfills what you're talking about of like taking a vision and making it real using your hands. Right. And you know, th- that might even be digital, like digital art and shit like that. You're still kind of like you're taking, you're extracting, creating, something. yeah, create, but from the mind's eye yeah. to the material. Right. Um, fuck. I should have taken a note. Um, you got anything, Tex? Um, my questions that I prepped, I guess, for, for starting a business, because I, I do enjoy hearing about kind of your, your insurance gig in the off-season. <laughs> and uh, and then we, we got Power Athlete. We had the food company. So you have a lot of experience. So what about that young entrepreneur out there who's just starting to get uh, his, his side here's, hustle going? Here's my... Um this is uh this goes against the internet and instagram and uh all these like ideas of side hustles um 
if you want to be great at something and you want to be successful, you have to burn the ships. That's it. Um, so I've had side hustles and the reason the side hustles didn't work was because I didn't burn the ships, you know, captain cook, the idea of like, we're going to burn the ships cause there is no choice. Uh, so like I think about well food co and some of the food companies we had, um, instead of going full steam and basically be, you know, growing that thing in. And I look at like what the guys from Epic bar did where they sold to general mills for like a hundred to $200 million. Uh, we were in that space and we were headed in that direction. We had, uh, people from VC and this and like, but I owned a gym. I was starting a family. I crossed a football power athlete, all these other things. And I was kind of doing it as a side hustle. And I'll tell you this, man. Hobby companies and hobby pursuits end up paying hobby salaries, which is nothing. And so I think um, with that opportunity, if I had burned the ships and had just abandoned everything else to go do that, uh, it would have it would have grown into what I think it could have been. The problem became um, it was one of those things where uh, I was still trying to figure out my technology with what we were doing here at Power Athlete with the CrossFit football, and I was kind of doing all this, and it was in such a uh, and like a, a fragile infant time that when the food company thing came on, um, I like, I, I was like, yeah, we'll do it. And I should have been like, no, um, I'm doing this and I'm going to do nothing but this. And this is what I'm going to focus on. Uh, and, and I think, uh, it, I, I don't know if shoulda is the right, um, is the right term, but you, you, you could have, and that would have put you in a better position to not fail. Cause you wouldn't have fucking done it. Like, I, I think that Going back to our very first fucking talk about forward thinking and failure, like we power athlete probably wouldn't have le- we wouldn't have learned the lessons from the well fo- food co had you not fucking yeah not gone the way you're supposed to right yeah I mean it, yeah I mean there's there's been a lot of I mean every, every opportunity is a learning opportunity but I think like if you really want to be great at something and you want to literally do it like you know and I always hate the people who are like when you want success as much as you can breathe you'll you know and it's like dude shut the fuck up nobody wants to be unsuccessful nobody wants to fail uh what would you do if you thought you couldn't fail I'm like I don't know jump off a fucking bridge you know fly because if I know if I if I can't fail I'm gonna fucking sprout wings like um, a lot of these things come down to, uh, like, what do you expect? How does it all fit? But I think if you can get to the point where, um, you know, you burn the ships and you go all in and, you know, the idea of like, oh, I'm going to play it safe in here and I'm going to try to side hustle on this and being like, and I think that's why we make jokes about it. Like, I think when it like, and we always joke, like make your, you know, hustle so hard, your side hustle becomes your main. No, dude, just fucking, if you want to do something, go a hundred miles an hour and, uh, you know, go all in. And, you know, if, if it pays the dividends you're looking for, the problem comes in. If you half ass something or you don't go all in or this, you'll end up failing and you'll just, you know, here's, here's, we're, we're in potential rant territory. This, even this term of entrepreneur and being an entrepreneur and wearing that as like a badge of honor to me, it is fucking douchey. We, me and Ash were driving to the airport and I was behind a fucking brand new 2000 fucking, um, what year is it? 2018 BMW, uh, M3. That was like this pastel blue lowered on fucking slammed rims and fucking, and the license plate was the black Texas license plate. And it read novelty plate entrepreneur. And I wanted to fucking throw up in my mouth. Like, Nothing is more douchey than talking, like, it, it just fucking bothers me. And maybe some of our listeners are like, I'm not saying don't be proud to be an entrepreneur, but it's no fucking better than a tradesman. And in fact, 
like I struggle. I, my, my parents had a track, like they wanted me to go to college. They wanted me to get a, like get into the white collar working place or prepare myself to be entrepreneurial. Like that was their goal and they've admitted it, right? At no point was service in their cards for me, like serving in the military. At no point was a fucking blue collar job, hard, you know, hard hat lunch pail job in their fucking cards for me. And, and I, I'm not, I don't blame them. I don't feel slighted. But I, I just, you, you listen to Mike Rowe and you meet some of these guys as well, John, like some of the guys that are doing their fucking work for us on the ranch and they're fucking cool, happy dudes that are fucking just crushing it in the blue collar industry, right? And, and in, they're an entrepreneur, yeah. you know, but you don't see those fucking guys like with, with entrepreneur on their fucking license plate, man. They're fucking out there using their hands building. Well, well I always think, dude, like uh, you got like, um, you know, Andy Frisella is a big dude on the internet and this, and he's got a supplement company and he like, you know, has all this like, uh, what is it like? Um, uh, you know, M CEO and he gets on there and he tells you how it is and you need to start doing this. And like, you know, and I thought it was funny cause he's in terrible shape. Like mm-hmm. he like owns a supplement company and telling all these guys about owning shit and this and how to fucking own your life. And the dude's in horrible shape. I mean, I think he's in better shape now. He kind of fucking embraced it and got back into it. But like that level of fucking like, uh, um, you know, you know, like your shit's not all in one sock and now you're telling everybody else how to fucking live. It looks, mm-hmm. to, um, looks like bullshit to me, but, uh, that idea of like, um, you know, hey, you have to do all this stuff. But like, I'll tell you, man, like at the end of the day, people don't need fucking supplements. Your fucking supplement company is fucking one paycheck away from fucking uh, stumbling and falling. Because you know why? Like protein, like uh, fucking I eat steaks. Right. But I'll tell you this, the dude that owns the electrical contracting company that's wiring all these houses in the neighborhood that I somehow convinced to come over and help us. That dude is fucking crushing it. You know why? Because those homes need power. But even that, man. And like, it's like, like Tom Dye, like the dirt work or the septic, like, like there's shit that people need that like you call and there's one dude that does it like to me like i mean like roger loyal like roger is a has a, a skill set like no other so human he's being a perfect on. example of like to me like one of the most successful men i know uh, you know what i mean well and he's not, it's not like he's yeah, fucking rich it, it sounds like we're getting to ikigai which we talked about mm-hmm. on uncharted performance podcast and john you appreciate this it's a four wave and diagram oh, are you so familiar it, with this concept it's a japanese concept and it combines what you love what the world needs, what you can be paid for, and what you're good at. And across sections of all this is Ikigai. And so that is where you decide your vocation, you decide your path. If it ticks all these boxes, it mm-hmm. comes together, you, you're going to be successful. So well, I mean, it, but, but, but here's the problem, too, is... Uh, how we view success and how the world and Instagram and the fucking social media and everything, like how they view success is based off of this idea. Like, I mean, you got a, a fucking, uh, what's his name? Um, you know, our Invictus boy, uh, uh, you know, Ryan Williams over there talking about his, you know, I mean, his definition of success is owning a Lamborghini. And how like, oh, you know, like, you know, here's the Lamborghini and the car and this. And I'd live in a warehouse if I could drive a Lamborghini and like, you know, where I live doesn't matter. Well, he doesn't own a home. He fucking rents. But, you know, he, he you know, he have a Lamborghini. It's because like that's his version of success uh, to me. Um, owning a Lamborghini would be uh, an example of my failure. 
um, where all of a sudden now I feel that insecure that I have to fucking drive a car that uh, one I couldn't fit in into, I would have a fucking micro penis. Uh, but I mean, and this is no rip, I mean, just a different success. Like I would never drive a Lamborghini. Now, if you could get me like a 67 Ferrari front engine B12 Ferrari, like, you know, that goes for about $4 million, that would be a version of success. Like, but there's different versions. People put this on this monetary scale. Like for me, um, he doesn't own a home. Um, I think home, home ownership's important. Having a fucking place to come and owning land and being able to go work it, that's my definition of success. Uh, having kids that are smart, healthy, and happy, and like that's my version of success. Having a good relationship with my wife, um, you know, having friends or having people where, hey man, I got a problem, and they'll fucking drop everything to come help you. That's my success. But see, where you, the, the role you've never have been in, and this is where we'll, we'll butt heads often, is you've been fortunate enough to, to be at the cross-section of that for the most part. And I know you had, your, you had your stint in fucking peddling insurance, but there are people who may even have all those things you're talking about, like tending the land, duh, 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 duh. but at the same time, if they're not doing what they love, like, I think that's where this, this is a cool concept. You know, again, 100% buy-in. I'm not sure yet. Yeah, but I but- mean, like, okay, so, so like, you love, like, um, hawking T-shirts? I mean, like, I, like... Yeah. Shirts and certs. Yeah, like, I mean, like, uh, like, uh, like, so I I remember uh, my brother already made a great point one time. Somebody was like, oh, do you love being a lawyer? And he's like, yeah, I enjoy the competition of it, but it's not what, like, um, you know, like, love what you do. He's like, I enjoy uh, working a job that affords me the life so I can literally take my kids on vacation and I can go, uh, uh, you know, like, take off early to go to baseball. And he's like, it it allows me to have the life I want to live with my family and to take care of them and then be able to do the things we want. He's like, that's what I love about it. Mm -hmm. And so, like, all these people that are like, oh, if you love what you do and you never work a day and this, and he's like, it's fucking bullshit. And he's like, you know what, like you, you have to realize what's important to you. And if what's important to you is some fucking admiration of a bunch of people you don't know on Instagram with a uh, Ferrari or uh, sorry, with a Lamborghini that you bought to impress people on Instagram, then you know what? Like, I feel fucking sorry for you that like, that's the piece that you're into and that's how you mark success. Mm -hmm. Uh, But unfortunately, everybody marks success differently. Like for me, um, uh, you know, like none of that shit impresses me in the least. Why? Because, uh, you know, I come from a, you know, I mean, fairly, uh, you know, white middle-class upbringing, but I also played in the NFL where like, you know, that shit was fucking every day. Uh, am I more excited by, uh, my 86 Chevy K30 with, you know, coilovers and four link and an LS motor that, you know, that I built with my own hands and like, you know, we fucking slaved and worked for it. Yeah. Cause it shows dedication and effort. And you know what? You can't go buy that truck, mm-hmm. right? I can go buy a Lamborghini and I can wrap it in camouflage. And you know what? He pulled the deal off and he sold it. I mean, like, that's, but that's a decision, man. Like, you have to decide what your mark for success for. And I, I do it for you guys. I said, Tex, what do you want? And you were like, oh, I want to, you know, this intrinsic deal. I want to influence these coaches and this. And you kind of like went off and I was like, what do you want? And you're like, I want to make a couple million dollars so I can give it to my wife so she can leave me alone. I can go do the shit I want to do. I'm like, perfect. What do I want to do? I want to create power athlete in such a way that we can alter the trajectory of training and provide good information that fucking makes a difference in people's lives. And, um, you know, just being some ancillary deal that like, you know, parasites off of some industry. That's why I didn't get into fucking broadcasting or I didn't get into coaching or whatever. I was like, I want to reinvent myself. I want to do something different. 
And uh, I want to literally find a way to fucking influence a bigger amount of change. Me just being another talking head on the fucking TV isn't influencing change. All it's doing is fucking, you know, predicating and, and perpetuating some image off of something I did in my 20s. Like, I mean, you know, Terry Bradshaw, I remember sitting with dinner with him and I'm like, doesn't it bother you that uh, you're here in your 60s and people, you know, only know for something you did in your 20s, it defines your entire life? Like, what else do you do? And he owned a ranch and did a bunch of other cool shit. I'm like, but people don't know you for that. Like, I want to be like, I want to have people like, uh, at least for us, power athlete and John Welborn and be like, oh, and that dude played in the NFL for 10 years. Fuck. That's cool. Mm-hmm. You know, as like a footnote, not the only thing that fucking defines me. And so like when I see a lot of this stuff, man, I just, um, uh, it's to me, it's, it's, uh, uh, it, it, it's, you know, people are doing it for the gram. Mm-hmm. You well, know? and to be fair, cause I, I do want to defend myself. We were talking about a very specific, uh, what were we calling it earlier? a very specific ore in the water, right? That we were talking, what do we want out of that ore in the water? And specifically, my goal is like, I, still, <laughs> I know, I know, yeah, I, 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 I in know. The, but in the grand scheme of things, you know, that's where we share out, uh, in, or I think we share sentiments on like, you know, the big question, what do you want out of life? And, and you, what I've been, every time I've had my performance review or whatever at the fucking old job, even with my old man, what the, I don't know where I came up with the term or the phrase. And even you've asked me multiple times, I'm not sure if you remember, is I want to leave a footprint. And I don't even know what that means necessarily. Like you can, but I like there, I want to leave a footprint. I want it to be big and I, you know, I want it to be lasting and that scale. Well, it's called legacy. Yeah. And And scale and and what that legacy is changes from year to year and time to time. And I think I'm on the right track. You know, I'm surrounding myself with the right people. Uh, I can lay my head down and sleep at night. I don't feel any sort of remorse about what I'm doing for work right now. Like Sundays, dude, like I'm telling you, man, you're, you're like Sundays in your twenties when you're working a dead end job or even a, a promising career, Sundays are the fucking worst day of your life. And you want, you just want to drown yourself at the bar. Like, and just, you don't want to let go of daylight on Sunday because Monday's right around the corner. Like, I don't know that you've ever, no, had, like I, the I NFL do. was not like that. No, and no. In, in your own insurance business with like uh, retired NFL, uh, financial <laughs> footprint. And like, I'm not like, you know, but you just have a different experience. Yeah. And I promise you there's people out here listening, like who can relate to what I'm sure. saying. And the, like, if you're, if you were doing that, that's where, why that guy concept, I, how do you spell K, uh, I K. Well, I mean, it's uh, just so people can Google it. I posted a I K I G A I. Yeah. So I posted a deal on Chuck, on Johnny Wad that was like showed like all this traffic and it was like you yeah, know yeah. Uh, um, it was like hey all these people basically are are you know slaving for a job in a car sitting in traffic and I kind of went through this whole deal and people were like you know like kind of upset about it and uh, it's like yo man like everything's a choice and like well you know what if you have this and this and it's like dude um, you have uh, a choice to li- to live the life that you want nobody's forcing you to live this life now you might feel obligated to do certain mm-hmm. things mm-hmm. Um, and you might feel like hey I have to do this because this is what you know is the best deal but at the end of the day man like you know as my brother said like he always said work a job that allows you to live the life that you want and you know like uh, if you don't feel unfulfilled then you're not living the life you want so um i've been i've been extremely lucky um you know to have worked uh you know a, a good job and then be able to done the, you know to do this and and bring kind of my perspective to a lot of things um but you know at the end of the day have we accomplished what i wanted to accomplish no 
And the reason being is that uh, every year, every day, the the uh, um, desire to accomplish more gets bigger. So like there's never been a point where I've been like, ah, we made it. Like the minute that we get close, we're going to just fucking sail the boat farther. So I, I listened to an interview with Arian Foster, former Texans running back, and he said a quote because he's into rap, he's into art, he's doing a lot of things and doesn't want to be defined as an NFL player himself. And his quote was die empty, like die on E. So yeah. he's, he's squeezing his life for everything it's worth. He's going back to college for physics or something crazy. So he's got to do like algebra and chemistry right now is kind of, I guess it was fresh in his mind. He was talking about, but he's like set all this crazy stuff, released an album, but cool perspective. Yeah. And I think if I were, if I were a frustrated guy listening to this or gal, you know, there's, there's things we've said that are at odds with one another. Right. So case in point is, you know, uh, no one's forcing you to do the shit you're doing right now. And like, if you work a job that allows you to live the life you want, but that can, that can can be at odds with a man does what he has to do, not what he sure. wants to do. Right. So there are, but what, what I think this also then ties into is like, cause I've, I've had this debate with people about in a fucking old sassy article about like, Oh, you don't have time. Go fuck yourself. Right. Is you do have time. You're not making time own it. Right. Yeah. And it comes back to even, the well, what, what, we what do we say? There's no free time. There's no spare time. There's no extra time. All you got is time and the clock is ticking. Henry yeah. Rollins. Henry, Henry Rollins. Rollins. And, uh, you know, do you so, realize the CrossFit community has abused Henry Rollins quotes or to like poor Henry Rollins? Yeah. When I see him, I want to hug him. But, um, I guess coming back into that, like whatever that's, that, that span is between doing what you love or whatever it is, the Ikigai concept, which I don't think you live your life by, but it's like acknowledge it. And, you know, doing what you have to do for your family and to get by, like, what, whatever, whatever is creating that gap, you need to own it, right? You, the li- like, whoever is feeling that way, like, it's yours. Right, wrong, or indifferent, fair or unfair, you need to own it. And, like, this comes back to, like, early, the sooner you own this shit, the easier life is and the easier decision-making comes. Um, and that, that's my personal philosophy. I mean, I'm not fucking writing the article, but people are listening to me jabber. But I, I'm curious to see what else fleshes out from this discussion for that Talk To Me Johnny Man. It's going to yeah, be fucking good. That'd be one. good. Cool. Two hours, people, of the premier podcast in strength and conditioning. Ing, 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 ing. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. Hopefully you were able to take away something from this Life Lessons episode. My personal favorite is the Bob Wellborn approach to stupidity. It's better to be thought of as an idiot than to open your mouth and prove it. Until next time, bye!